located. It is the word that the first people gave observatory. And Kamirori Chais, in the words of that First Nations, those First Nations, means place of the stars. But even as we reflect on this being a place of the stars, or Cape Town then being the place, a, a place of stars, we recognize that the country as a whole, and our province as well, has, has gone through what Dickens in the European context referred to as the best of times and the worst of times. And yet, I'm quite reminded that even in that context of great struggle, Maya Angelou was able to cry out that still we rise. And I want to recognize this bill and the deliberations you're engaging in as part of that process of rising. The, the pandemic has, has dealt us a significant blow in terms of the, both the weight of human tragedy that we've experienced as well as the, the pressure that our health systems have, have experienced in this time. And so as we reflect on this rising, it is important for us to engage in the process that you're, you're embarking on at the moment. Central to that conversation, though, we reckon, is the commitment to universal health coverage, uh, an issue which became central to the experience of South Africans throughout the pandemic. In addition, that universal health coverage idea recognizes the role of, of health itself and the practice of health as an important economic stimulus to building a nation's economy as well. But importantly, in the, in the, in the pandemic, what we have experienced, and as a, as a portfolio committee, I would recommend that we never lose sight of is this broader swathe of, of things which affect the, the, the delivery of healthcare to people. The, the, they, that affect their level of health status um, in terms of the social determinants of health, which I'll return to a little bit later. In recognizing Professor Clover as a member of the executive committee, I do want to just um, note for, for, for this, this meeting that I've just come on board as the chair of, of SACMD of the South African Committee of Medical Deans, and that is a chair which happens by rotation. So effectively, UCT is the, is the chair at the moment. And the deputy chair is Professor Jabu Mbogazi from Walter Sisulu uh, Faculty of Health Sciences. And Professor Nwazaklova is the additional member um, on the executive. And it's really just to locate this in, in, in that collective of, 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 of universities who train medical students. Chair, I'm going to share my, my slide now. So there'll be a bit of a pause as I ensure that everybody um, is able to see that, so I apologize for the interruption there. Chair, is everybody seeing the, the slides at the moment? Yes, we can. Maybe just put a slideshow, please. Okay. Are you seeing the slideshow? There we go. Thank you. So, so Chair... One of the things that, uh, I mean, what we've done on this first slide is really put the emblems of all of the 10 universities that uh, are represented in the Committee of Medical Deans. It's a group of 10 universities who train medical doctors and specialists in the broader context of a health, higher education environment. And I thought it would be um, important to share a little bit about our context. Last year, 200, or at the beginning of this year, 250. 2,541 medical interns 
were delivered into the health system and allocated to jobs, albeit through a very fraught and difficult process at the central and provincial governments. 1,889 of those would have uh, graduated from local uh, medical programs, including the first batch of graduates from the University of Limpopo. Um, and I think we're very proud as, as a committee and a community of practice for the support we've been able to offer the University of Limpopo and proud of their work in delivering the, new, the latest cohort of, of uh, students into the intern system. In addition, Chair, I want to just emphasize that part of that cohort of 2,500 interns are 594 Nelson Mandela Fidel Castro uh, candidates who completed their final year of training. They spent 18 months with us in local higher education, in, in, in our universities, in fact, for the last 18 months. And I raise that because what we have done over the last year since we have formalized the structure of the Committee of Medical Deans, we have foregrounded our collaboration with the Department of Health in achieving uh, an ideal environment for both the training and the, the training of healthcare professionals and for the delivery of health services. Last year, through the college as a, a unitary examination process, we delivered 1,117 uh, specialists across 35 different specialties. And the reason for that, what looks like a, a bumper crop is probably inflated by about 200 because um, there was no second semester exam at the end of 2020 in that year where exams were being reconfigured and, and processes of examination was changing. 209 subspecialists qualified in 2021 as well. And, and that, is, that represents something which, which I will allude to a little bit later in our reflections on the intersection of the Human Resources for Health Plan 2030 with the NHI, NHI process and something that we feel needs to be harmonized to some extent. I want to also just inform the committee that as the 10 of us, as the Committee of Medical Deans, we are also members, all of us, in different, uh, through different structures of the South African Committee of Health Science Deans. That would, would, would include uh, upwards of about 20 universities across the country who teach the health sciences but don't have a, a, a medical program. <clears throat> and then there's a parallel committee for the South African Committee of Dental Deans who also train health professionals for the, for the, for the health care system. I, I trust that the committee has engaged with those separately. And then we have become identified by USAF, the University of South Africa, as part of one of their communities of practice, and we, we receive uh, admin support through a um, uh, an, an engaged commercial arrangement with USAF. So, so that's the context in which we are. I, I want to emphasize, Chair, though, that the submission that we've sent to you from the 2019 submissions has been interrupted by this time of pandemic. And I want to make the point at this stage that we have not really been able to engage with any depth with what lessons we have learned in the COVID period, in the, in the time of pandemic, that may well inform that NHI process or the universal health care uh, coverage that we were all aiming to achieve. And I make that point now because I have no doubt that all of us as, as, as um, universities with medical programs recognize that the pandemic taught us many good lessons it also raised many red flags about how the system struggled to cope. In fact, the fact that we got through it to, to some measure 
is, is, a, is a commendable state of, of affairs. But I want to recognize the fact that there have been lessons that we could easily apply to the um, to the uh, to the health system as we go forward. Chair, the, the structure of my presentation today would be really to 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 highlight the key issues that came up in the in the document you submitted in 2019, but then to make a couple of comments only on the bill itself because we recognise as well that each of our universities have covered the technical aspects of the bill to a large extent in their individual submissions. And so what I want to do is go very lightly into the detail of the bill and then stand back and talk a little bit about the things that we think may need to be included in the, in the, in the, in the bill in order for it to cover all of the domains of healthcare and practice. So these were the key issues that the, that the, um, um, that our submission, uh, in, in 2019 covered. Uh, it spoke of locating the Na National Health Insurance Fund in the broader public health care delivery system. And again, I, we will come back to this in various forms later on. The tension that exists between the National Health Act, which, which essentially is the government, gives us guidelines for a health system, and the, 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 the question of the National Health Insurance Fund, which uses a fund process a financing model as it as it um, as it uh, as it has uh, has unfolded. Then the idea that the, the the national health insurance fund should be in the context should be located in the context of the two tiered national healthcare system, with particular attention to the private healthcare system, the private health sector. And then speaking to the issue of design and governance of the integrated healthcare service delivery system, um, which I think is an ideal process to, to go to. Lo locating academia and the health professional training platform in the national health insurance context, I will refer to, because one of the things that we have found in our re-reading re of the bill again is the fact that the, um, the, 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 the dearth of connection between the higher education institutions and the training uh, imperatives of, of healthcare professionals in the fund um, uh, in, in the proposed legislation. And then the governance of the National Health Insurance Fund, I think we're making some comments in that regard in the course of our presentation. I want to highlight a couple of things in terms of the com comments on the bill from our, our responses to the preamble. It's recognizing that in the first instance, the general public health system and the private healthcare system is in need of serious attention in order to strengthen it. it we're, we're, I think that in our comments to you, you will note that it's not an either or, but it's a both and. The concept that we have to be very intentional about the strengthening of the public health system. We, we, we have recognized over the last little while the significant reports about the challenges within the health system, uh, not least the reports around the Eastern Cape, the situation in the Eastern Cape, and also the situation surrounding, surrounding Charlotte Matlake uh, Academic Hospital in Johannesburg. And then we've suggested the addition of a clause addressed the social and economic determinants of health to promote health and disease prevention through intersectoral collaboration and strengthening of non-personal health care. So, so, Chair, this, this statement, I think, is almost prophetic of the challenges that, were, were that, that arose during the pandemic. 
my sense is that we have to recognize that the, the, the solution to health problems is multisectoral. And while the bill looks at a funding process, we need to foreground increasingly the fact that a health system must recognize those components which render it part of a preventive process as well. And so um, this is the only slide I want to refer to in terms of the comments on the bill itself. I want to pick up a couple of things that, that have come through to, through refreshed comments from colleagues over the last week. Um, it, I think I've made the point quite strongly now about how, the extent to which um, the strengthening of the healthcare system is, 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 is importantly linked to any attempts at, at an NHI process. And we recognize that in the health system, there are a number of problems. I want to say that the problem primarily is burden of disease, but I do want to argue that the areas of, of, of governance and management are equally at play in, 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 in not, a, not allowing our people to enjoy adequate access. Uh, colleagues have commented on, on the tension between purchaser and payer. The idea is that those, those concepts need to be further ex explicated in some way. And I think that has been raised in many of the university's individual um, submissions, and I won't dwell on that much longer. I think that the perhaps the important thing now at, at this juncture, three years after our submission, or two and a half years after our submission, is the, the necessity for us to try and make sure that in the writing and the, and the editing of the bill now, that we become very aware of the, the provisions in the National Health Act versus the provisions of the funding mechanism, which is what the... Um, the uh, the, the, the NHI fund bill seeks to do. I also think that um, the National Health Act is, is quite an ambitious spread of what we wish to achieve in healthcare. And I think some of the lessons that we've learned in the COVID period are important, not least of which is this, this question of registration. I think in the vaccination process, we recognize that registration prior to the access remains a challenge in, in our situation. And then I think we could have long conversations about its impact for, um, for, for vaccination. I want to pick up a couple of things that we mentioned in the first submission uh, surrounding the language and, and, and what, 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 we may, what may be interpreted as, as the language around asylum seekers, undocumented migrants, students, and all children. And we reckon that the, the language that is used in terms of access needs to be quite clear and more inclusive than, uh, le than less inclusive. Um, again, we, we, we want to speak to, to the ideas that the, the processes of appointment of, of, of people and the, the seats of power in the governance process need to be attended to. We've made comments in the submission around uh, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, Chairperson. Uh, I just want to find out where the slide is not moving, uh, but uh, there's a lot of very vital information that is discussed by the presenter. Is there maybe a problem somewhere? 
A lot of important information is discussed here, but we are, there's only one slide here, and it doesn't have the information that he is discussing. Can I ask that, Chairperson, through you? Yeah, Honorable Chair, I agree with Dr. Tembewayo, so that at least we see the content of the slide. Otherwise, you know, it does, we can't connect, which makes us very difficult to connect with the uh prof green Thompson. chair if i may yes professor so chair the slide hasn't moved because this is the only slide that i will show on the comments on the contents of the bill what i'm doing is really paraphrasing the contents of our submission to you which we sent to the committee last week so i'm sorry if if, if i i i, I yeah, my intention was not to put everything I was going to say into a slide because it's really a, a modification of what is in the presentation we, we submitted. Yes, fact, yes, the presentation yes. is more extensive than my presentation. Thank you, Prophet. So what I understood you to be doing also. Please continue. I see there's another hand chair. I'm not sure what process is. No, I think that is the legacy hand now. Okay, thank you. I think that's your legacy act. No, all I want to understand, when, when did the organization uh, of Dean uh, really requested to make presentation before the NHI? If they can clarify, us, please. When did you make such a request to present before us? Chair, may I? Yes, you may. So, Chair, this, this presentation is by invitation. We were asked to make a submission which was submitted on November 2019, um, which is a document we recirculated to the committee last week. But we're recognizing in this presentation that there's been a significant shift in the, in the healthcare landscape in that period. So we've not we've not requested this presentation. It's by invitation. Thank you, Prof. Uh, we do understand you were part of the initial uh, group. People who made submission based on your submission that was made in November 2019. You were invited, and you had indicated you wanted to do an oral presentation. Which then, based on that, because we have invited all of those who made such indication as to us being transparent and fair, uh, you've then been invited as the South African Committee of Medical Deans to come and make your oral presentation, and you have requested a postponement, which was granted, and now today is your day for presentation. Please continue with your presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Sorry, Chairperson. Uh, Sorry, Chairperson. Can he display what he is reading, rather than putting this short version? Can he display what he is reading? Because he is reading from some slides. Can you display them, please? Honorable Timbukwayo, I understand what Professor Green Thompson is saying. And it has happened before. And in any case, one does not read from a presentation. What I understand the professor is doing is that he's presenting a slide and he's talking around the slide, giving us more than what is on the slide. Is there any way, Professor Green Thompson, that we can see it or be sent whatever you're talking, whatever you're talking on now, whether it is in, a, in a, on a soft copy or something that we can find or get from? 
So, so Chair, I mean, I'm hoping that, I mean, if we can get the recording, we'll try and transcribe what I'm saying. The point I made at the beginning is that I was limiting the comments on the bill per se, because many, many of our members have sent detailed comments on that. This was the slide, the only slide on the comments on the bill, particularly the remainder of my slides to which I will move shortly are slides that refer to the things that we think should be in the bill that I will spend the majority of my time on. What I'm currently doing is really just contextualizing our previous submission. Um, and so it's very difficult for me to go word for word through that submission because what I'm doing is really um, I'm, I'm, I'm using more lecture format than a, 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 an information presentation format. Um, yes. Because I assume the document to have been read. I agree. And my apologies you. that I don't have enough detail on the slides. Yes, my apologies also. Please continue, Professor Kato. So, so, Chair, again, and maybe what I will do is just refer to the pages of our document then. Um, from where I'm taking the comments, because that, that's not a, it's, they're not in a presentable format. So on, on page seven of our document, where we refer to page nine and 10, there, there was quite a discussion about the fact that we need to enhance the areas of quality assurance and ensure that the appointment of, of quality assurance bodies needs to be enhanced as well. And then um, we've spoken about the functions on, on page eight of our document, then we refer to pages 11, and 11 12, and 13 um, of, the, of the submitted document. We speak to functions of the fund and powers of the fund. But that what, what we're really emphasizing there is the need for us to, to, to distill the powers and functions described in the bill to very specific ideas. And then also to enhance, to, to enhance the idea that not all the power or, 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 or the authority rests in the minister, but that they become a more distributed process through which uh, uh, accountability can be, be enhanced in the system. Um, and then one of the comments from a colleague was really about the idea of concentration of power currently proposed is, is often unregulatable or maybe un, unregulatable because it, 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 of, of the way in which the bill constructs that, that power authority. Um, on the page nine then, pages, and I'll be, make very short comments on this, pages 13 to 14, we really speak to the processes of, of uh, appointment and establishments of board, that these should be appointed so the board should be appointed by a, an appointment process or nominations process that we have seen in other structures in the health system and that um, we, 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 we separate the appointment process to a more open and independent process. And then officials in the fund itself, the CEO and CFO, um, should then become appointed by that board um, in, in effect. Um, I'm going to skip in the written document a couple of pages, colleagues, um, and then speak to the idea that there needs to be clarity 
in 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 the writing up of the of the functions of the technical committees uh, as to whether these would be members of the board or whether there would be um, other people uh, brought onto these and the concept of fit and proper has come up in the comments um, of of the of the committee members but that we 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 focus on the idea that um, people should have the appropriate experience and and beyond be beyond reproach in their engagements. Um, the on page twelve we make some general comments around governance, and they really are of further comments around transparency of the committees and. Um, making the recommendation, in fact, that civil society should be represented on all committees. It's not clear the extent to which um, patient advocates would be represented in the system as currently described. Um, and I think one of the comments that we've made is the shift of the, of the two documents, the uh, white paper and the bill, uh, the, two, the two offerings from the department moving from a service to a funding model and that perhaps there, there needs to be a, re, a reclaiming of the original ideals of service in the earlier document. Um, the, and then there are a number of comments, colleagues, around the areas of, of um, the administrative parts of, of the system. Um, in the we want to make a general comment on, on chapter 10, and it's on page 17 of our submitted document, that we really have to recognize absolutely that universal health coverage is the only way forward for South Africa. That um, the, the, the NHI bill is recognized by committee members at the time of submission, that the bill in itself is sound, but that there are serious questions that need to be reflected on if it is to be um, to be arranged in a way that 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 will have the desired impact without um, uh, um, a detrimental impact on on the on the health system um, colleagues that that's pretty much what I want to leave the the conversation at around the um, the contents of the bill itself I did want to pick up a number of things in the area in that section C of our document which are the things that are not addressed in, in the bill. And so we're suggesting that there needs to be an additional chapter which deals with health professions education and national structures such as universities and particularly the NHLS. Uh, your committee must be very familiar with the struggle that the NHLS has had across the, the South African health system in attempting to deliver services in, in, in more remote areas but that we need to be very careful that that district health management office um, significantly has a change management process so that in, in our breaking up to build up, we don't lose uh, uh, and create a negative impact on the health system. But I think that what we want to recognize is that in fact, the health system has got to build um, the primary healthcare entry point and promotion of health as that entry point for, for, for healthcare. And if we're able to, to, to achieve that, we recognize the huge savings that that, that that will achieve. But I think that what we have to do, in, in as, as, the, as we ask that the bill reflects on, on engagement with the university, we find areas of mutual interest, particularly around training and the quality of health services. 
which essentially is the thing that we um, that we 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 would see ourselves as as sharing uh, an interest with with with, with the, the general health system. In addition, um, the 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 the, the submission refers to the call for um, a new chapter on academic medicine and health professions education. And here, colleagues, we refer to academic medicine, perhaps from an interest point of the medical committee of medical deans, but recognizing that this academic medicine is an academic discourse that covers all of the health professions. And so I want to just emphasize this is not a call for exclusively medicine, but probably uh, academic health care. And then we, we, we really want to foreground through the NHI perhaps a, a deepening sense of, of, of the, the participation in fundamental and important change in the healthcare system. My apologies for that uh, malalignment there. And, and, and that the bill should support and enable the work of universities. And, and, and we're recognizing, as I mentioned a little earlier, the fact that in the early iterations of reflections on an NHI, service seemed to have been more foregrounded than uh, the funding as, as has happened in, in the latter documents. But we need to make sure that the bill and all the regulations support the academic institutions, which will include technical and nursing colleges to achieve that goal of training healthcare professionals for a healthy and wealthy society. And this notion of a healthy and wealthy society is an important idea because health is such a fundamental part of, of the robust economic um, framing. We, we, we ask that what needs to be inserted is, is, is greater reference to research and the academic enterprise. Um, it's really important that, that research is foregrounded and, and, and some of the things that many of us as deans are beginning to say that the learning enterprise is embedded in the service enterprise. The learning and research enterprise is embedded in the, re, in the service enterprise and vice versa. Um, we, we want to foreground this notion of professionalism, and I think the bill does speak in some way to the extent to which we need to professionalize the, the health, uh, people in the healthcare system in general. But I think I've made the point sufficiently about academic principles in the in the um, in the bill itself, because again, we believe that the the research that is embarked on by universities informs the health system, and often the health system informs the extent to which research is possible. But really, that every clinical encounter, I want to change that to medical, from medical to clinical encounter, is an opportunity for training, innovation, and monitoring. We speak about the role of, of higher education participating in the various advisory committees, but just make sure that uh, the, 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 the way in which this happens is recognizing the role and the resource that the academic uh, uh, platforms will have for the health system. Um, there again is that very tense uh, space of recognizing the role that we may be able to contribute with the autonomy, and I recognize that that, that is often viewed in, in different ways from different perspectives. And then I've added here, so I've moved this from late in the document, that we have to talk about training posts. There is a vigorous conversation happening at the moment nationally about the training of, of um, specialists. There's significant conversations about how some provinces are treating uh, registrar posts, um, and, then, and there have been questions from the 
from the environment within the town. But this idea that we consciously build training posts into both the Human Resources for Health uh, 2030 strategy, as well as recognizing them as a significant part of the funding requirement from a healthcare system, I think will also be able to be dealt with in the new chapters that we are suggesting. So just a couple of focus issues that uh, I think need to would, would facilitate the process, and, and we've mentioned them in our, in our submission. The idea that, that higher education and government need to meet and, and, and just develop a, a common understanding of what that Human Resources for Health 2030 strategy, which was, which was released after our submission. But I think it's an important guide for determining both the shape of the healthcare system and the extent of the investment in the training of health professionals. The sustainability of providing sufficient healthcare professionals of good quality and appropriate relevance really depends on a quality and stable uh, healthcare system. Um, and while we recognize that it needs repair across the board, I think that the, we, we can contribute to sharing that work. And so we come in the spirit of this presentation in humility to recognizing our collaborative engagement around these things. The central hospitals versus academic complexes idea, it's an issue that has occupied the, um, the, the Committee of Medical Deans in various guises over the last years, beginning to recognize the, the fact that academic complexes then are things that can happen if we're going to recognize every clinical encounter as a learning, research, and innovation moment, then we have to recognize that academic health complexes may be a much broader idea than central hospitals. But we recognize the, the, the recognition given in, in the bill for, for central hospitals. Um, in order to achieve that promotive environment, I think that we accept that public health entities should be strengthened. The question of pragmatism and 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 we, we may not have all the answers. We are offering thoughts that we, we, we can continue to engage around. Um, but I think foregrounding the question of, of uh, an NHI process, and universal health coverage process, that's integrally linked to the commitments to training is something that we, we, we have to, to, to foreground in the process. Um, I'll refer to the HR 2030 strategy plan. And then what that means in the broader environment. And again, that's an insertion that has come since our submission in 2019. The JSEC um, is, a, is a process that the Committee of Medical Deans has, has engaged with, has tried to engage with uh, significantly over the last little while. And it hasn't really been a successful body at this stage. And the intention of the, of the structure originally was that it brought together the Department of Higher Education, I think it's included science and, and innovation now. That department, which is responsible for the educational mandate, the Department of Health, which runs the health mandate, and Treasury, which funds all of these activities. That if we can strengthen the JSEC um, to, to formalizing these collaborative, collaborative spaces, I think we go a long way um, in terms of, of, of what we can achieve, both through the NHI and through the um, through the health system more generally. I made the point that the document makes the point about the important collaborative role for academic institutions, integration, and make sure we can be defined with, as partners in the technical, as technical partners in the processes. Uh, I'm mindful of the time, Chair, but I want to just make a point here. 
that we, we think that the academic institutions can bring a technical expertise to the conversation that can enhance the, um, the, the conversation that the NHI triggers. And I think it is a really important and valuable conversation. And I think we can use the capacities and the scale of, of universities in, the, in that way as well. Um, the we spoke, I think the, these aspects of self-explanatory, these bullet points, I think one of the things that we have achieved to great measure as, a, as an impetus um, from the, the COVID experience, pandemic experience, is the, the sudden escalation into a fourth industrial revolution and artificial in, intelligence environment. In the past, where teleconsultation was a huge debate in the professional uh, organizations. Suddenly those are accepted as, as billable events and things that people can engage with legitimately without compromising care. And then the issue of how, what is gonna be the role of the provinces? Um, how do we manage, how does the bill intend to manage the current uh, structures of provinces where there's significant uh, power bases in terms of distribution of funds in the provinces. So colleagues, that, that's our presentation. I really want to express again the thanks for the invitation to present here. And I really do want to say, um, and I'll invite my colleagues if they would like to add any particular comments at this stage before we take questions. Um, but I really want to make a note that we really do come in humility to this conversation, recognize that the shared vision of the health of our people is, 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 is an important um, uh, ideal to seek and to establish. So thank you, colleagues. I don't know, Professor Clavo, if you're still here, I know you had a limited availability. Chair, if I may, yeah. all of my colleagues to make comments. Certainly, you're welcome. Thanks, thanks uh, uh, Professor Green-Thompson for representing uh, SACOMT. And uh, thanks to the colleagues also for allowing us and giving us. Honorable Chair, I don't see the presenter. I don't know whether it's a network problem. I don't know. And I don't know who the, the presenter is now. I think, Moza, you'll have to show your face. Names, please. It's Professor Moza Klova from UKZN. Hi, colleagues. Uh, my name is Professor Nozaklova. I'm a hematologist by profession, and I'm a full professor at UKZN, and I'm the dean and head of school of clinical medicine at UKZN in Deben, South Africa. Do you need more information about me? Yeah, no, yeah, that's fine enough. Thank you. Continue. Yeah. Honorable Chair, we, we don't need any other. We just needed to see the prof and the names only like we did with other presenters before us. Uh, please uh, recognize, uh, I don't know whether we are professor or what, uh, Mr. Chilidzi, that the network becomes a problem when we have to show our face. So that's why we don't show our face. Otherwise, I get cut. Uh, okay. I'm not a professor. I don't wish to be. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, through you, Chair. Uh, again, I want to reiterate uh, Professor Clinton's uh, sentiments in terms of, uh, you know, to this association and partnership and engagement. We humble ourselves, want to find common common path, and see how we can work together as South Africans and as uh, 
to ensure that we provide the best service for our uh, 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 citizens. So I just wanted to add that in particular, what in, in some of the items that Professor Glenn Thompson has mentioned, more of concern specifically to us at UKZN is the reduction in the number of registrars, which has really created a massive uh, negative impact in the way we run our establishment. Our registrars have been reduced from a number of 400 registrars five, seven years ago to about 150, 200 registrars. I may just need to get the exact numbers, but this is really straining the running of uh, the medical school and the clinic. So we would really uh, appreciate your support in this regard. Not going to be long, Chair. I will be here. Thank you so much. And thanks once more, Professor Ken Thompson, for your presentation. Um, Chair, there, there's also uh, Professor Rizenga Chauke, who's in the meeting as the Dean of, from the Safako Mahato Health Sciences University. I'm not sure if he has any comments to make at this stage. Through you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Prof. Prim Thompson, and uh, good morning, Honorables. Um, indeed, we reiterate what uh, Prof. Prim Thompson has said. Uh, presented to this portfolio committee. We believe that uh, NHI is the only way to go for our country. And we think that strengthening health institutions, particularly training institutions, and looking favorably at the historically black uh, training institutions will go a long way in producing healthcare professionals that will fit into the program of uh, NHI. And we believe that by taking uh, cognizance into what we think uh, is missing in the bill will go a long way towards strengthening what we think should be the health system in the country that should not discriminate rich or poor, young or old, black or white, and so on and so forth. So we think uh, we believe in the bill and we believe that further engagements in strengthening what we think are weaknesses within the bill will assist the country in achieving the universal health coverage for all. And this is what we stand for as deans. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rizenga. Chief, if I may just introduce the last member of our team, uh, Dr. Kieran Begg, who's a, a public health specialist and serves as a deputy dean for undergraduate education here at our faculty. Um, just short comments, Kieran, and then we hand back to the chair. Uh, thank you very much um, to the to the committee, um, and thank you to to um, uh, Professor Lionel Green Thompson. I think the only addition to to add is just the the emphasis that, in fact, you know, health, universal health coverage is what our um, uh, universities have been uh, looking for 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 a long time, and we teach that uh, to our students, both undergraduate and postgraduate, so that as they enter the healthcare system, that they have an expectation of what is expected to provide health for all. Um, and so we stand with those principles very strongly, and I think that all four of us have indicated that, um, and every single one of the of the faculties of health sciences would indicate the same. 
um, just that, that they, we, we've identified some of the, um, of the gaps and, and insertions that we think would be helpful for this going forward. But once again, um, we come in, in a space of cooperation and collaboration um, that um, as we train, the, the lead time is extensive for us to be able to shift the healthcare system and that we, we really would like to be part of um, that engagement and of the clarity around training of health professionals, which does take an extensive period of time, um, that that is taken cognizance of in the broader bill and, um, um, and the, any uh, additions going forward. Thank you so very much, colleagues. Chair, thank you. So we'll, we're, we're happy to take questions. And my colleague, I don't think another dean joined while I was presenting. So I think that's all of us, uh, Dr. Jacobs. Thank you very much, uh, our esteemed learned professors and uh, academics from our universities and our medical schools for this presentation. Uh, we have a number of members who would like to engage with you, and I'm going to name them in order. It would be Honorables Ismail Sukacha Gela Munyai Chembekwayo. Ismail Sukacha Gela Munyai Chembekwayo. If there are any other members whom I have not noted and would like to raise some questions or concerns or speak to the uh, presenters here, please shout on the platform if I have not noted you on the WhatsApp group. Honourable Siwela, I see an Honourable Hubbard. So I'm going to make number six, I'm going to make Siwela, and number seven, I'm going to make Honourable Hubbard. Any other member? You may continue to raise your points and, uh, and questions with uh, the presenters, Honourable Members. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Good morning to everyone. Uh, to teens, uh, thank you for a very, very interesting presentation. Um, I have a number of questions. My first question, would deans recommend that the governance of specialized hospitals remain with provinces? My second question, does the bill address social detriment of health and preventative strategies? What are the implications if these items are not addressed? My third question, you highlighted that the minister is a, you know, basically a political appointee and independent oversight is important. Do you recommend parliamentary oversight to improve the accountability and legitimacy of the board? My fourth question, to what extent does the bill allow for equal access to quality health care? You have stated in your presentation that the first version and the second version is actually, you know, not talking to each other. So in your opinion, is this an all-inclusive bill? How sustainable is this bill in its current form? Now, would you say that the NHI bill in its current form will be providing a health value-based model? My first question, do you foresee a rise in immigration of healthcare workers out of South Africa as soon as the NHI is implemented? My sixth question, has the department adequately planned for the NHI? In your opinion, you know, taking into consideration that the pilot projects were not even an effective tool for establishing whether the NHI will, will, will work, or do you think we should have further pilot projects, you know, uh, with specifications um, relating to the NHI to first see if this will actually work before overhauling the whole system? 
my seventh question. Do you feel that with the current shortage of healthcare workers, you know, especially considering placements and with the infrastructure crisis we're experiencing right now, do you think NHI will really work? Or do you think we should, you know, we should first um, address the in improving our healthcare infrastructure and, you know, we increase the amount of healthcare workers in the system before the implementation of the NHI? Now, you've touched a little on the single, single purchaser, single buyer model, but you haven't, you know, specified. I'm just going to ask a very simple, straightforward question. Do you feel that a single purchaser, single buyer model is going to, you know, cause a monopoly, thus increasing prices of medicines? We know that presently, you know, with the PFMA and the National Treasury requirements, uh, tender processes are actually not adhered to. So just your opinion on that. Um, now, considering that the Office of Health Standards and Compliance presently can't manage to monitor even 20% of our health facilities, and the fact that, you know, these facilities need to reach certain compliance requirements under the NHI, you, you know, we know that in the present circumstances, many healthcare facilities will not be able to function under the NHI. Do you feel that this will further hamper service delivery to healthcare to our country? You know, also the fact that the health ombudsman can't manage to oversee and ensure compliance. You have stated, you know, in your presentation that, uh, you know, the Office of Health Standards uh, needs to also uh, strengthen, you know, itself. But how are they actually going to manage to ensure compliance under the NHI if they can't manage it right now? Now, we also know that at least 104 billion rand in medical negligence claims we have, you know, existing right now. In, in your opinion, won't this be even worse under the NHI? And my last question, what is your opinion regarding the fact that so many interns and community service doctors and nurses are not placed timelessly? Also the fact that you know many students go overseas to study medicine simply because there's no opportunity for study in this country and the delay in the, the HBCSA in issuing of registration certificates after exams, you know, that's delaying their placements and employment. Um, we know you have touched on the Nelson Mandela Federal Castro program and, you know, where students have come into universities, you know, for the, for the 18 months. But there's lots and lots of monies, you know, being spent on that program. Uh, would you recommend that, uh, I know you highlighted in your presentation the issues of training and, you know, uh, you know, more, more must be put into the bill, con you know, with regard to the establishment of maybe more universities of training with regard to healthcare workers, et cetera. Do you recommend that, you know, funds should be rather allocated within and in the country rather than outside? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Um, uh, good morning, colleagues. Good morning to the deans. Um, let me uh, welcome the presentation uh, from the deans. Uh, I've just got two questions. Um, my first question, uh, uh, Prof, you have made uh, an argument that there is no mention of the National Health Laboratory Services in the bill. Did you miss paragraph 6.8 in the white paper, which provides details with regard to improving the efficiency of national health laboratory services in preparation for the NHI implementation? Did you also miss section 57, 4, G3? which makes specific reference 
to the National Health Laboratory Services. Then my uh, second question, uh, uh, Honorable Chairperson, uh, the Dean have also, Prof. have also uh, raised concerns about decentralized purchasing, creating fin- financial and administrative risk. What is the proposal of the deans in this regard? Would you support centralized purchasing of personal health care services by the National Health Insurance Fund? Thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson, uh, for the opportunity. Let me also welcome the presentation from deans. Uh, I've got a few questions that I want to ask. Uh, my first question, you are worried uh, that the bill does not locate the National Health Insurance Fund in the broader public health care uh, delivery system. Are you, are, are you recommending that a level of uh, detail should be included in the bill over and above what is already in the bill, uh, in the NHI uh, policy document. Uh, My second question. Um, My apology, Chair. Uh, My second question, uh, Chairperson, you have raised concerns that there should be a separation of purchaser uh, from the payer as contained in clause 2A of the bill. Can you please uh, clarify further what you mean by this uh, proposal in the context of the purchaser uh, provider split? Uh, my other question, uh, Chairperson, uh, I think it's the last one. Um, have you aligned your suggestion uh, to have a full new chapter on the role of the universities, which include uh, training and quality of health service? Can you clarify how you uh, propose this to be done? Do you want to have a chapter that deals with a funding of universities and the training of health professionals? Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, prepare my notes uh, and other questions. My first question, Honorable Chair, is as follows. Um, Maybe greetings to the esteemed professors and deans of one of the top universities in the Republic, medical universities. Uh, Are you concerned about the National Health Insurance Bill uh, that it provides an inadequate framework for the infrastructure and capacity or capability needed to achieve the desired outcome of universal 
health coverage. Uh, that is the first one. Uh, but then you have requested that NHI bill uh, needs to locate National Health Insurance Fund in the context of the two-tiered national health systems with reference to the private health, health, health sector. Are you asking that the bill should redo the details contextual analysis presented in the white paper and the green paper? Is it your understanding that the NHI fund should maintain the inequality that is maintained in the two-tier health systems? It is, is, is the purpose of the bill not the end uh, to this apartheid-generated inequality? You have raised concern about uh, concern that seems to be saying that the NHI fund bill, uh, the NHI fund bill, and not the NHI bill. Have we located? Have we looked at clause two of the of the of the of the bill regarding to the purpose of the act being to establish the, and maintain the NHI fund? Would we agree that the NHI policy has outlined the critical health systems issues that will ensure successful realization of the mandate of the NHI fund? Uh, I think we owe it to the dean to agree. I mean, I'm saying that maybe the dean must clarify whether they agree with the current status quo of the two-tier system. That, that really continue to put profit before the people. Because as you know, I'm sure the bill as esteemed professors, uh, the deans as esteemed professor, they will know that the current private medical aid, they receive 8% to the GDP, accounting over 400 billion, if not in no time will reach trillions. And, and that serves only 16% of the population. 84% of the population is not served with that money. Is that the view of the dean that um, we should really maintain the status quo? It is very much important to understand that, Honorable Chair. I want also ask uh, Dean Resenga whether he agrees with the President Sir Ramaphosa statement when he said, open quote, NHI is a fundamentally about social justice. NHI will ensure that all our people, whether they are black or white, rich or poor, uh, will be able to access a comprehensive range of healthcare services, close quote. And I'm raising this because I heard the Dean talk about something like these issues. I want to further ask, does the Deans agree uh, with the wet white paper, which notes, open quote, NHI represent a substantial policy shift that will necessitate massive reorganization of the current healthcare system to address structural challenges that exist in both the private and the public healthcare, private and public uh, sectors. It reflects the kind of society we wish to live in one based on the values of justice, fairness, and solidarity, social solidarity. Implementation of the NHI is consistent with the global vision that healthcare 
should be a social investment, not a private investment that put profit before the people. What is their view? Does the deans uh, agree with the NH with the um, with also the white paper that says the implementation of NHI is underpinned by Vision 2030? Let me further ask this question: Do you also agree with the uh, National Development Plan, Vision 2030, that envisages that by 2030 everyone must have access to an equal standard of care, regardless of their income? and a common fund should be established to enable equitable access to healthcare, regardless whether the people can afford and how frequently they need to use such a service. If the esteemed professors and the deans could please uh, try to answer my question without fail, I'll appreciate it. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Chair, can I ask, to, to, to start some responses now. Um, I'm just mindful that, that we've only got 10, 15 minutes and, and there's substantial questions that have been raised. Yes, I do realize that, but it is uh, not our practice, Professor. So um, we'll try and get through the next questions and I will allow you a couple of more minutes so that you're able to answer those questions. Thank you. Uh, Honorable Tembakwayo. Uh, thank you, Chairperson, and uh, appreciations to the information to what, that was presented today. Uh, my first question is based on the SACOM context medical intents, as he represented it to us, uh, specifically on the 2021. And just to say to Professor, uh, we, we engage on uh, matters of a medical intents and specialists upon receipt of the problems as they are experienced by those concerned. With this, I mean, sometimes we only get a complaint from the qualified doctors who are not uh, employed and we engage with the National Department of Health so that we get those uh, qualified doctors to get employment. And the second one, we usually get complaints from the interns who are not paid by some hospitals, especially in Gauteng province, with reference to medical uh, orthotics and prosthetics, um, specifically in hospitals like Dr. Mkari and uh, Tambo Memorial Hospital, so who do not pay them any stipends. The only time when they get a stipend is when we engage and fight for, for them to get the, the stipend. But unfortunately, they do it only when we fight for them. The following year, they continue with non-payment of the intents. And I just would like to ask, because they come from the 10 universities that are part of this committee, uh, what, what would you, your intervention be in this regard? Meaning after they have qualified, do you in actual fact revisit the fact that uh, they are employed or unemployed. So, yeah, that is the first question. And the, the second question, uh, where would locating of 
academia fit in the NHI bill as it is now? Please specify the section in NHI uh, where you would fit. The same applies to uh, the addressing of the social and economic determinants of health to promote health and disease prevention through intersectoral collaboration and strengthening non-personal health care. The following question, uh, you mentioned that uh, there's a shift of two documents. What, uh, what would be the benefit of the reclaiming of the earlier document since the move to the second document was necessitated by the public comments received. And um, the last one, you made a comment on the language to say the language should be clear and more inclusive in the document. But I need uh, some, some, some clarifications with examples from the, uh, from the bill how exclusive, how certain sections were ex excluded in the NHI bill that would make it an inclusive and more clearer uh, document, according to you, meaning inclusive aspects which are left out in the document. Thank you, Shane. Honorable Siwela. Honorable Siwela. We'll go on to Honorable Abbott. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Uh, welcome, Professor, for your presentation. I just have one question. The presenter has made comments which appear to suggest the Committee on Medical Deans is against the creation of service providers and the NHI. May I get some clarity on the presenter's inputs, particularly as they related to comments made about sections of the bill which cover healthcare services coverage? Thank you. Is Honorable Siwela back? Thank you very much. I think those are all the members who are going to ask questions apart from myself. And uh, I am sorry that um, I couldn't have your answer in between, uh, Professor Green Thompson. Yes, Honorable Timberquire. It's not Honorable uh, Dr. Timberquire. It's Honorable Gela. Uh, Honorable Gela, uh, yes. Honorable uh, Suela. And um, she's having a problem. She's he's requesting that if he can be unmute by the host. Host, can you please unmute Honorable Siwela? You can speak as soon as you unmute it, Honorable Siwela. Honorable Siwela, I would have to move on if I'm not able, we're not able to hear you. 
Let me let me ask my questions, and my my, my questions relate to. Uh, um, okay. Yes, honourable Ella. Uh, Honourable Swela is requesting that if you can cover um, his questions, uh, he sent he sent the questions to you. Uh, yeah. If you can also ask his questions. Yes, I will do that. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Gela. Let me then ask the uh, question of, of uh, Honourable Siwela first. Um, and he speaks to the proposal that foreign students in South Africa must not be expected to purchase private medical aid or insurance. Are you saying that they must be allowed free access to, to healthcare benefits covered by under the NHI or by the NHI? And can you clarify what the international best practice are in this regard? That's a question from Honorable Tiwela. From myself, I want to speak to your um, to the fact that the NHI policy document makes a reference to the national quality standards for health framework which is based on seven domains and six national core standards. Um, just to ensure that uh, you're aware that the infrastructure is included in those domains. And secondly, that the uh, question is whether you're familiar with the National Quality Improvement Plan. And in your, in your view, does this plan not adequately address infrastructure requirements? And the uh, memorandum of objectives also mentions the quality improvement plan that you maybe uh, miss that information. And um, in the comments made about the registration and documentation of users and benefits under the NHI, the medical deans appear to condone and advocate for South African residents to remain uh, undocumented. Uh, is there any reason for this approach? And most importantly, how will health records of these undocumented individuals be tracked and traced over time? If what the uh, presenter's proposals are, uh, are considered in the bill. So uh, if it's considered, how will uh, these undocumented individuals be tracked and traced over time? And then based on the comments uh, on the preamble, uh, the South African Committee of Medical Deans has made, have made proposals for the bill to be amended in line with the current segregations of the public and private sector. May I get some clarity why your emphasis is not based on equitable access to healthcare to the South African population, but rather it focuses on retaining the status quo, which is based on public versus private sectors, as we currently understand it. And then... Uh, uh, you also spoke about oral health and identified oral health services of refugees and foreign nationals as the key point. Is there any specific reason why this category of persons and the health needs have been elevated? And uh, why do you also singled out only the inspection of oral health by the Office of Health Standards Compliance? And then your reservations with regards to uh, the power of the funds do you have any recommendations uh, to remedy what you regard as a problem in the book? And put differently, what amendments uh, do you believe should be made 
uh, under Section 11 of the book. I noticed that in the hand of, uh, of Honorable Munya has been raised. So before I'm going to hand over to you, uh, Professor, I'm going to take the hand of uh, Honorable Munya. I'm covered fully. Sorry, Honorable Chair, and um, thanks. Thank you very much. At this time, let me also welcome our Deputy Minister, Dr. Sipongiseni Loma. I see from the platform as well as the Parliamentary Liaison Officer of the Minister, Mr. Johannes Hatla. You're also welcome, and I know you've been on the platform for a little while. I'm adding back to you, Professor Green Thompson. And I will give you some extra time, and whatever you uh, would not be able to answer, you're very also uh, very welcome to also give us a written reply to the other questions. Thank you. So, Chair, I mean, a number of questions I think would benefit from a, a written reply so that we can engage more collectively with colleagues. Uh, I'm going to ask Dr. Professor Rizanga Chalke to respond, particularly since somebody asked him a particular question. And then I'm going to ask Dr. Kieran Beg to deal with some of the technical questions. I see Professor Glover is, Professor Glover is still here. Um, and then I will pick up whatever questions colleagues have left out. I don't know if colleagues are happy with that. But uh, Professor Chalke? Uh, thanks, Prof. Green uh, Thompson, and, and thank you, Chair. When the world met in Russia in 1978, um, the Declaration of Al-Mahata was signed, and the world said, by the year 2000, there must be health for all. But 1978 was a far cry from when NHS was established in England in 1948 after the World War II. And the formation of the national health system then described a great and novel undertaking when NHS was established. We will realize that NHS was established when there was nothing um, to base the establishment of that system on. And I'm trying to ask to answer the question about whether we should wait for infrastructure or, you know, and, and things like that to be established. And, and our taking is there will never be the correct time to start NHS, NHI, and it has to be done now, and now is now. Yes, I do um, uh, uh, subscribe to the undertaking that uh, NHI is about social justice. I agree fully with what the, the president um, says consent. And it is important to realize that um, we will never have a perfect system and we will never have a correct time to establish NHI until we establish it as and when we speak right away. Yes, we don't believe in a two-tier system of, uh, of health in, 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 um, in the country. And we believe that a one-tier system uh, should work without really compromising the other. But it's important to strengthen the public health system. Um, and we also believe that uh, the train, medical training institutions and tertiary and quaternary hospitals should be the, should be, be sitting in the national um, department of health rather than in the provinces because we think that will be the the better control will be uh, uh, you know flow from there rather than from the provinces. 
Basically, because we know that there are a few other things that happen that really compromise the health system as far as uh, it be them being run by provinces is concerned. So, in short, and I believe that most of there are many questions. I think we can then uh, through Prof. Green Thompson have a written a reply to um, some of the questions raised here, and uh, and uh, but. At the end of it all, and with um, in a summary of the analysis, is it is important to start it now, without re really waiting for a perfect system to be established before it could be started. Thank you very much, Chen, and thank you, Prof. Thank you, Prof. Chauke. I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Big to answer some of the technical questions, and then I, I, I will probably, colleagues, just just because of where we are on time take the remainder of the questions on, on for written reply and we'll give you a sense of, of what the, so you would need to give us a sense of the time frames for that those responses. Dr. Beck. Thank you very much colleagues for some very insightful questions. Um, and so I think that uh, Professor Senga has just indicated um, very clearly that um, we certainly are supportive of a single healthcare system and the undoing of uh, the inequitable two-tier health system that we sit uh, with at the moment. Um, colleagues, I think that a number of questions related to the white paper, and we're certainly particularly in support of the white paper, but what we were asked to do today was to comment on the NHI bill. Um, and certainly we're, we're, I think what we are concerned about is the disconnect in some respects between the white paper and the NHI bill. Uh, to some extent, perhaps the NHI bill would be better articulated as an NHI fund bill, uh, because that is more what it represents. And, and then perhaps there needs to be additional legislation that puts effect to some of the gaps that are then in the bill versus the white paper. So we're certainly in, in, in great support of the principles within the white paper and um, with some, um, some additions and, and modifications as has been submitted previously. But in terms of the NHI bill, it is a paring down of the white paper, um, which has indicated some of our concerns today. So let me take some of the specific questions that were asked today. Um, in terms of the... Um, um, the the, um, the the tiers of governance and therefore the equity uh, the equity we, we particularly strongly um, in support of equal access and equity equitable um, resources and um, and equity in terms of treatment um, of all in South Africa. I think um, the comment about the preparation. Um, is real, and I think that the pilot projects have been problematic and have not been um, have not uh, given the results that we would all have expected, um, and they certainly have not been written up in an evidence-based way that we would really have liked to have seen um, the evidence. The pilot projects have also predominantly focused on district healthcare systems. Um, and uh, and uh, to a very small extent, the contracting of private providers, um, but only in terms of individual practitioners. And so perhaps um, some of the piloting should be extended into um, hospital-based spaces um, and, and um, other areas that are not covered currently in the pilot projects, which are at uh, district-based level. Um, in terms of the, the purchaser and funder, um, so the NHI fund, I think that we clearly indicated in the response that we provided that um, we certainly wish to see the purchaser and, um, and funding 
um, mechanisms separated so that we have um, good governance aspects there. Um, the single purchaser, I think we're concerned with, um, particularly given um, some of the challenges that we've seen in our country recently. And so we would advocate um, for some sense of, of decentralization. There is obviously benefit in terms of um, efficiencies with, uh, with purchasing um, that can be negotiated at, at a global scale, um, but we're certainly concerned about that all being um, uh, tied up in a single in a single purchaser model, uh, which currently would also um, not fit with the current governance models of um, the fiscal federalism in in provincial um, uh, provincial entities. So. Um, the, in terms of quality, um, I think we, we are completely cognizant of what sits both in the NHA, the National Health Bill, the National Health Act, um, and the, um, the um, modifications, uh, the amendments for the Office for Health Standards Compliance, as well as what sits in the white paper. Um, the, the tie-in and coherence towards the, um, to the NHI bill is not there. Hence, perhaps the suggestion that the NHI bill as it currently stands should rather be named an NHI fund bill and then other aspects around service provision and quality control uh, should then perhaps be located in an additional uh, piece of legislation um, going forward. Um, so we, we are concerned about the capacity and certainly it would need to be extended. It is predominantly a... Um, a, a quality assurance based mechanism and not a quality improvement mechanism. So thank you very much, Chair, uh, for uh, the comment. Um, certainly that, that many of us have been involved with contributing to the national, um, national government in terms of the Lancet Commission on High Quality Health Systems, as well as the National Quality Improvement Plan. Many of us have participated in uh, and, and contributed to that, that formation. And so, um, once again, we have good policies and good uh, principles um, in South Africa, just not necessarily um, the, the good delivery. And I think that that was what uh, the Honourable Member Ishmael was referring to. Um, medical negligence is a particular challenge um, and will continue to be. Um, but uh, obviously, the, as, as we improve quality um, of services, so um, that, should, that should deteriorate. I think that perhaps I'm going to move on to the next um, aspects because I think that um, Professor Rusenga did, did mention a, a couple of the, um, of the other items, but I'll comment on the particular aspects around uh, that, that affects us directly around the training of health professionals. Um, it is of concern that, that interns, commercial service and, and nurses are not placed. Um, the... Um, the, the delays appear to be more around funding of those posts, so particularly in austerity times like we are to, uh, at this point in time post-pandemic or within the, the, the pandemic endemic space, is that um, those posts are contract posts and they're the easiest uh, to curtail from provincial expenditure basis. Um, and there isn't a coherence between the national uh, placement of those, um, of those particular professionals and the funding of those posts at provincial level. And so um, when austerity measures are, are faced, it appears that provinces then uh, cut posts and the, the number of, of interns, commercial service, um, health professionals are then not able to be placed. Um, we haven't seen um, as significant delays sitting at the HBCSA issues. 
Um, in terms of where uh, our health professionals should be trained, we certainly believe that, that we should be able to train all the health professionals that we need, but we certainly need a significant ramping up of the numbers of health professionals that we can train within the country. Um, but of course, the, the con is that if we don't, if we aren't able to place those that we train, then, um, then it is a very expensive exercise to train health professionals that then are unable to be placed. So it does need a lot more coherence between um, the HEIs and the um, national department and provincial departments um, of health, uh, as well as a very long lead time in order to get those health professionals qualified. Uh, we do have a challenge at the moment with uh, a number of people who are unable to get into HEIs training overseas and then wanting to, in, in unaccredited spaces, um, wanting to then uh, return into the country. So that is a particular challenge. We certainly want to work together with government to be able to train uh, within our country. In terms of continuing on the NMFC program, uh, what we've seen around the, the NMFC program is that students recruited from rural areas um, tend to return to rural areas. And certainly from a second D point of view and the, um, the, the deans and, um, and faculties of health sciences, we're certainly looking at, um, at those kind of elements so that we can ensure placement uh, within rural environments. I think I'm going to um, pause at that moment and hand back to Professor Lionel Green-Thompson. Thanks, Dr. Pegg, um, and thanks, colleagues, again, for your questions. Um, I mean, there, there's some things that, very simply in, in, in the way that colleagues have asked the, the questions, like immigration, I don't think one can predict any of that um, in terms of the immigration of health workers. I don't think one can predict how that will be affected by NHI. I, I do want to reiterate some of the things that Professor Chauke said, that, in fact, the deans remain, remain committed to equitable access. And then... Um, I, I didn't think, and I, I made the point of both and, I don't think we were saying that uh, private healthcare must be retained, must not be managed in the process of NHI. I think it's an important part of, of, of the process um, that we need to engage with. Um, colleagues, uh, I'm just very mindful that, that of, of the time now, and I wondered, uh, Chair, if I could ask the Secretary to document the questions. Um, and, and we can give you a response written um, uh, quite quickly. The question that uh, 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 Honorable Temaguayo asked about where do we insert the ideas, I think we had spoken about an additional chapter relating to academic, to higher education institutions. Um, the question of the, the wording that we felt could be changed for more inclusivity is written in our written document. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, Chair, if, if I can get from the Secretariat a written uh, version of these um, uh, of the questions, we can we can engage with them in more detail if, and involve more colleagues in the response. But I really want to leave the committee with um, with the notion that there's there is support for a move towards a national health for universal coverage and recognize the NHI to be one of the contributions in this regard. Uh, an important contribution to achieving equitable uh, access to healthcare. Um, it's no longer acceptable that people have cata health catastrophes at, at, at the lower end of the market. Thanks, Chair. Thank you very much to yourself and your team, Professor Green Thompson. Um, 
one point I had not raised, but it's also to commend uh, the universities for training more medical students. I remember the time when it was my task to go to the deans and discuss with them the increased intake, possible intake of medical students. That was back in 2011. And I see we've come a long way, us now uh, having had 1,889 uh, doctors being trained locally. Uh, and, and the additional number coming from uh, from other programs like the Nelson Mandela Fidel Castro program, etc. But also uh, commendable that we've increased the number of medical specialists and subspecialists being trained. And we know that as we're going towards uh, na the national health insurance slash universal health coverage, we will need an increased number of training of our uh, medical doctors and especially our specialists. And we also do know that there are constraints with regards to those. It'd be nice to also hear from you when you do those written replies to maybe also speak on those topics. So what your views are as to how we will be able to do that in preparation for the human resources for health in terms of the NHI. But uh, we look forward to the rest of your replies. It's, uh, it's uh, really a pity that uh, we cannot take all of those uh, orally from you now. We are very interested in hearing more from you. I'm going to give you a moment just to maybe make a, a, a final uh, comment and then we will move on to our next presentation. Thanks, Chair. I mean, I suppose the one the one thing that I do want to raise, and I'm trying to work out which honorable member raised it because I lost track of the names. Um, the the question of responding to doctors who are not being paid and, and the, 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 the honorable member saying that this committee acts when they receive a complaint. Um, I, I want to ask, because we, we've tried to preempt these situations, both of the allocation of staff, of interns, as well as this issue around uh, and locally people have engaged. But I wonder if, if, the, if, if as a request from myself, and I haven't canvassed it with the committee, that your portfolio committee looks at ways in which we can anticipate these, because there's some provinces in which there are recurrent problems in this regard, um, and, and that would be important. So, Chair, as, as a concluding remark, I really just want to say thank you for this opportunity. Um, I think that the members' questions have been um, insightful, some more difficult than others in terms of a response. But I, I want to recognize that we, um, we, we come in a collaborative spirit. And in, in our response to the questions, we continue to be uh, collaborators in trying to craft a better health system and, and, and a space in which our people can enjoy good health. Thank you. Thank you very much again, and you're very welcome to uh, to write to our committee secretary. But I, she's also noting what we are saying now. There can just be a communication channel between yourselves so that we'll be able to receive those uh, written comments from you. Thank you once again for coming. You're welcome to stay on the platform. You're welcome to also leave in your busy schedule. But we are having a presentation now from the OWL. And the owl is led by Mr. Zola Sapeta. Mr. Sapeta, if you can please um, introduce yourself and introduce the rest of your team. And very welcome to this uh, portfolio committee on the NHI public hearings. Please continue uh, with your presentation. Thank you.
Um, good uh, morning, uh, Chair and the Portfolio Committee. My name is Tengo Tengela, the Parliamentary Officer of uh, Nehau. Uh, I'll be doing the introduction of Nehau delegation. Uh, our delegation chair is led by uh, our General Secretary, as you have mentioned, uh, Comrade Zola Sapeta. Uh, he is accompanied by the <clears throat> Nehau Policy Development Unit ahead, uh, Ms. Comrade Sidney Hara. Uh, and Slindile uh, Bele, who is our researcher, and uh, the head of secretariat, Skumbozom uh, Konda. Uh, our presentation chair will follow the following sequence. The general secretary will do preliminary comments. He will, she will then be fo he will then be followed by uh, Slindile, who would uh, deliver our presentation. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chair. Let me hand over to our General Secretary, Comrade Zola. Over to you, yes. Can the GS yes? Thank you very much, Comrade Tengo, for introducing us as a delegation of Nehau in this uh, engagement we have uh, today. And uh, good morning to everyone present in this uh, engagement. Chairperson, um, pardon me, uh, I have a technical problem with my um, camera. And that's why you might not see my picture, but uh, I have tried my best, and hopefully you will hear me. Um, Shepherdson, as an organization that was born in the struggles of the health workers, which united the clinicians and the general staff alike, who were all inspired by the ideas of universal health coverage, as expressed in the ANC's African claims and the Freedom Charter of the Alliance. We are proud that this national insurance uh, deal is finally on the threshold of being passed by this sixth democratic parliament. With regard to the national health insurance, understood as a health financing system that pools funds to provide access to quality health service for all South Africans based on their health needs and irrespective of their socioeconomic status. As Nehau, we pride ourselves as a pioneer, having spearheaded the campaign since our adoption of the National Health Insurance at our Congress in 1997. Inspired by the fact that many countries achieved universal health coverage immediately after the Second World War, when their economies and the health system were still devastated by the war. Nehau worked with various organizations in developing proposals for the NHI in total conviction that it is not only possible, but also necessary in South Africa. Our campaign included joint working with our Canadian friends, the Canadian Union of Public Employees, 
in generating some of the earliest research papers on NHI model under the democratic order. We are also proud that we successfully campaigned against the introduction of the social health insurance in the late 90s and 2000s, even up to the end of the work of the ministerial trust team on social health insurance, which disappeared with the third democratic dispensation. This paved the way for the introduction of the Green Paper on NHI in 2011, and subsequently for the publication of the, of the NHI white paper in 2017, in which we vigorously participated throughout in making our submissions. And finally, in 2019, we actively participated in a public hearing that were held in provinces on this NHI bill. So, Chair, let there be no doubt that we are here to express our un unwavering and resolute support for the NHI bill which would, would enable our country to take a giant step forward in complying with the supreme law of the land, as captured in Section 27 of our Constitution, which mandates government to take progressive steps to fulfill the citizenship rights in this regard, access to health for our people. With these provisions, in terms of Section 27, our Constitution is very clear that health is a right, not a commodity. No, it is a privilege. Of course, we now know that there are those who have never struggled for this constitution, who actually did everything to oppose the democratic struggles for this constitution, but who today pretend to be its champions and who are going to abuse our cause in trying to block this legislation. Our message to them is clear, Chairperson, that on a yearly basis, the state provides around 60 billion in tax subsidies in favor of the private healthcare sector. This includes the unconstitutional tax expenditure subsidies, subsidies enjoyed by members of the medical aid scheme by the Treasury. Any attempt to delay the implementation of this bill shall be met with our own action, not only in terms of mass protest, but also legal action to ensure that the overwhelming majority of our people do not continue to be discriminated against as they are deprived of any subsidy when they seek health care from private doctors in townships and rural areas. We shall then see if the profiteering private health care industry would survive even for a year without these tax subsidies. It is now official. It is officially documented by the Health Market Inquiry of the Competition Commission in its 2019 report that the private healthcare system is systematically flawed. Actually, it is scavenging on the vulnerable and the sick. We demand that the National Department of Health must urgently respond to our call, which we made during our peak heads on the 18th October 2019. We demand to see a plan of action from the department, outlining it, outlining it is responsible, outlining how it is responding to the recommendation of the competition commission, especially with regard to the need for a regulatory intervention to prevent price collusion and profiteering amongst the three monopoly hospital groups, as well as over servicing of patients by practitioners, especially the specialist. At this point, Chairperson, I would invite Comrade Lindy Lambele 
to present our technical um, presentations. And then we'll come back to engage with the questions that Horizon asked. Thank you very much. Thank you, GS. Um, thank you, Chair. I'm going to continue from where the General Secretary has, has led the foundation. He has already tackled the, the introduction of, of our presentation, which explains how the injustices of the past continue to follow the majority of South Africans and how we need to stand up as as a country to actually address these injustices and allow access to healthcare to all. Comrade uh, Chair, my presentation will look at the, the, the issue of funding. We'll touch a bit on the issue of funding, then we'll talk to, we'll talk to the, the decisions that the National Treasury or government have put forward that we feel will continue to delay the implementation of the NHI. We'll then talk to the private sector and, and how it has been said to, to be the best and provide the best healthcare services. And we'll also talk to uh, the argument that, the argument that um, why can't we leave the private sector as it is and focus on the challenges that are faced, that the public sector faces instead of addressing both issues of the private sector and the public sector. Okay, Jim. Uh, firstly, Nehao supports the NHI. And when it comes to, to the funding, Section 49 of the bill, it states the chief's out income that will be used in funding for, for the NHI. That includes the contribution for, from the member, uh, the contribution uh, by the employer, and also income tax and, and, other, and other forms of funding like your CODIA. In our presentation, we want to touch more on the tax expenditure subsidy for medical aid scheme. Government subsidizes medical aid scheme holders through what we call a tax rebate. This means that people with medical aids, they get incentivized for purchasing medical aid. And the higher or the more expensive the product that the person has within that medical, within that medical aid, the greater the subsidy. As Nehau, we believe that government should completely end the tax rebate and it should form part of other funding for, for, for the implementation of the NHI. The fund needs to be redirected to, towards the implementation of the NHI. On the next slide, Chair, the table gives us a picture of how the rebate has been increasing from 2013 to, to 2022. In the same breath, Chair, we've been experiencing a decrease towards the budget, the health budget, as a result of austerity measures that have been imposed by government. This clearly demonstrates the unconstitutionality of the tax system 
which is protected by the finance policies that promote financial well-being of the affluent at the expense of distributing a universal public good to all citizens. Um, in the 2021-22 budget review, Chair, we've seen this decline and it is also forecasted that we're still going to experience a decline in expenditure for, for health. In 2020, the 2020 and 2021, the budget was sitting as 247 billion and is expected to decline to 245 billion in 2023. What we want to put forward, Chair, is that the austerity measures that government or national treasury impose on, 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 on the public health sector have great impact on the functioning of the sector. The main, the main factor that has been affected by austerity measures, it, it is the increase in the shortage of healthcare workers. And this was more evident amidst COVID-19. Austerity measures shame and the way they increase the shortage in, of human resource, they have contributed to the public sector's inability to provide healthcare services effectively and efficiently, which is critical for an attainment of quality healthcare. Again, Chair, we want to put forward that these austerity measures as imposed by um, our national treasury, they undermine the public sector's the public sector's ability to comply with the national core standards as put forward by the national health in trying to achieve improved access to quality healthcare. Again, these austerity measures, they undermine the public health care, the, the human resource for health strategy that, is that, that, that talks to adequate, adequate distribu distribution of of health providers or healthcare workers between the private sector, the public sector, between urban areas and rural areas. And Chair, the austerity measures again continue to affect now the same healthcare workers that are already part of the system. These workers have been subjected to precarious conditions ranging from receiving low incomes, government undermining collective bargaining agreements and working under poor conditions, which were even more aggravated by the coronavirus pandemic. As things uh, stands, uh, Chair, we have temporal healthcare workers that were employed to assist with combating COVID-19 that are now potentially faced with unemployment, provided that their contracts are not renewed and all converted to being permanent. Chair, this equally becomes a strain or a constraint to the, uh, to the effective implementation of the NHI. While we're still on the issue of funding, Chair, reactionary interest groups that are opposed to the NHI, they argue that its, in, its implementation will be a burden to, to the already strained fiscals. As Nehao, we say this is just a tactic aims, to, aims at maintaining the apartheid structural inequalities, privileges, and injustice, injustices that are still inherent in the healthcare system. The same groups, Chair, have failed to provide alternative, alternatives that will meet the fulfillment of the requirements of Section 27 of the, of the Constitution. It was really sad yesterday to hear from um, AfriForum saying that another alternative to the NHI is for, for us to expand the medical aid market 
so that we create competition in the market and then that will drive down prices. Then everyone can afford to have a medical aid and have access to quality health care. This just um, shows that there are people who still don't understand that we have people in South Africa that still go to bed without food. We still have people that can't afford a loaf of, bed, of bread. We have people with zero income. Those people will never be able to afford any medical aid, no matter how much that medical, medical aid can cost, because they've never had any access to any income. So we believe that the NHI is the only um, policy towards achieving universal health coverage, with, whether you have access to money or not. So to go back to um, on, on, on national treasury, despite the commitment that government has made to the development plan, the NDP, which calls for universal health care through the NHI, and despite the NHI bill being passed, and the, the, the national treasury has listed the NHI as a spending risk in terms of the medium term risk framework. Yet, as my uh, general secretary has alluded, national treasury is willing to forego up to 60 billion or which was 57 billion of tax subsidies for medical aid scheme members. Chair, as how we condemn this, and we say that since National Treasury has made this decision to cut spending on health, we therefore call for the end of medical aid scheme tax rebate and have the money or the funds earmarked towards the implementation of the NHI. The main reason, again, Chair, why we are against the, 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 the tax rebate is that we believe that if an individual decides to purchase a medical aid insurance, then they make that decision because they can afford it. And so they shouldn't be provided with an incentive in a form of a tax rebate. Again, Chair, we have people in the townships, rural areas with no medical aid, have never had access to medical aid, have been using out of pocket when visiting a doctor. And they, there is no incentive that is afforded to them. Instead, they have to pay for it. This is just another clear picture of the inequalities that the underprivileged are subjected to. Uh, Chair, I'm going to now talk to the structural reorganization that is envisaged in the bill, which pertains to the NHI fund that is publicly administered. I will talk more to that when I talk to uh, the private sector. Then uh, also pertaining to the future of uh, role of provinces, tertiary institution being provided with autonomous powers and the creation of the contracting unit for primary health care, which is also shortly known as CAP. We support the, the restructuring and reorganization, but we want to put forward that any structural reorganization and reconfiguration of any organ of government should not deviate from the philosophy of providing a public good. Any structural change should not in any way distract negatively on the terms and conditions of employment of the workers. Workers must remain part of the public service and the organs of the state must remain within the state, including the CAP. I will talk to, to the NHI fund on when I go to the slide on the private sector and how we support it being the single purchaser of, the, of healthcare services. Um, then now, Chair, um, yes, then I go through the, the private sector which is 
assumed or known to have the best quality healthcare or provides the best quality healthcare. The same private healthcare, uh, healthcare sector in South Africa, it is characterized by high and rising cost of healthcare and medical aid schemes. Um, high and rising cost of healthcare and medical aid schemes. This has been proven in the Competition Commission on, on Healthcare Market Inquiry. Again, during the, high, the health market inquiry, WHO made an indication that our private healthcare in South Africa, the prices are on par with the prices of countries with higher GDP levels. These include the, uh, the United Kingdom, Germany, and France. Our private healthcare is dominated by the the oligopolies and also known as the big three providers. That's Netcare, Mediclinic, Life, and Life. These oligopolies chair have created barriers to entry, thus preventing competition in the market by using tactics such as price fixing. Again, the World Health Organization continues to say that South Africa spends 41.8% of total health expenditure on private voluntary health insurance, which is more than any OCD country, while only caters to the 17% of the population. And again, this 17% of the population, some of it relies on the public health, on the public health sector. I'll talk, talk more on that. So it's only those with high income that can afford medical, medical insurance in South Africa. And the same people that have medical insurance have been subjected to high rising um, pay out of pocket for their healthcare services in certain circumstances where it's either they've run out of funds from their medical aids or the medical aid doesn't cover those health services that the, the that person requires at that point. Chair, according to the Council for Medical Aid Scheme, medical scheme members in 2014 paid out of pocket of 24 billion. That was in 2014. And this went up in 2015 to 27.2 billion. This is a lot of money that people are still paying from their own pocket while they have medical aids. Chair, I want to share just a short story of how the out-of-pocket payments have become uh, a strain or a financial hardship to the people with medical aids. There's a popular doctor on social media that was, has been known for, for her good work in, 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 in assisting her patients or, or the people that have always required her services. So he, she became um, popular on social media for the good work that she has been doing. and take a decision as members or as a consumer. Can you please uh, mute whoever is interrupting our meeting? Thank you, Chair. I'll continue. The doctor was then admitted for, um, she, she, she contracted COVID-19 and was admitted after a week of, of being sick. Uh, she had to spend close to six weeks, which is uh, two months in hospital. In that two months, she then had difficulties in breathing, which required her to be under ventilation. 
being under ventilation for this this long period um, then put a strain on the family financially as they had to pay for the services from their own pockets now. They then decided they will reach out to the public because the bill was getting too much and they couldn't afford it. They reached out to the public as the doctor was very much known uh, on, uh, on the public platforms that we have. They then did a crowd campaign funding for her and the goal was to reach 2 million, 2 million for health services that she was getting from the hospital that she was admitted to. I don't know how one can have a bill come to 2 million, but it does happen in South Africa. Uh, the public was able to raise up to 1 million for her. Many companies came through and donated money towards uh, her medical bills. Unfortunately, she didn't make it and she, she, she passed away. This is just one of many stories that people are faced with, with the cost of, with the, cost of uh, the high cost of our private healthcare. This is what the WHO talks about when it says, access to healthcare should not impose any financial hardship to the person. And with this increase in, 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 in out-of-pocket um, uh, contribution from, from medical aid members, this is the hardship that the, the WHO talks about. Chair, this just gives a clear picture that private healthcare in South Africa is unaffordable and has turned healthcare services into a commodity that is only enjoyed by only those who can afford it. And by only those who can afford it, one can assume that it will be the 10% that owns 93% of our wealth in South Africa. In addressing the cost, the bill indicates that the NHI fund will be the only purchaser of health services. Chair, this will then exert powers or give powers to the fund to be able to negotiate and determine better prices for medication and healthcare services. Obviously, Chair, we have uh, groups that are against this, Discovery being one of them, that is against the single purchaser pay, uh, payer model because it, they know it will kill the fee-for-service reimbursement method that is currently uh, predominant, that is, that is predominantly used in the private sector. Uh, Chair, the fee-for-service uh, fee uh, reimbursement method it creates an incentive for providers to increase volume or cost of care that they deliver through additional tests, procedures, inpatient stays, and outpatient visits. This was also proven by the Health Market Inquiry. And it stated that our private healthcare is characterized by high admission rates. Why is that? Because that's how they are able to generate more income through longer admissions. So we understand fully, we are not surprised that discovery is against um, another reimbursement method that seeks to um, put value for service forward. Chair, again, for a country with such high unemployment rates, sitting at 34.9%, high levels of poverty and income inequality, we cannot afford to have high cost of healthcare in actual fact, it cannot afford to commodify its healthcare. 
as Nehau, we believe that the NHR will provide the country with the health system that is for everyone and achieve the health goals embodied in the NTP, which uh, significant, to significantly reduce the burden of disease and show that we raise the life expectancy of South Africans at least to 70 years. The generation of under 20s largely free of HIV and achieve an infant mortality rate of less than 20 deaths per thousand lives beds, including an under five mortality rate of less than 30%. And with the NHR, we believe we can achieve these goals. And then we go and, 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 and talk to the argument here that why can't we leave the, the private sector and focus on the collapsing public health sector? What we want to say, Chair, is that you cannot separate the two. The private sector events, they adversely affect the public sector. And hence, it is not possible to separate the two and solve their problems individually. I'll just give a few a few pointers on how the two are related and can't be separated. One, the private sector employs medical practitioners who were originally trained at the public expense. As a result, the public sector then loses its investment in training of health professionals. This is evidence with the doctors from our public medical schools. Two, we have GEMS, which is a medical aid for public, for public workers the same medical aid that they use to purchase the services in the private sector, and they get subsidized for it. And again, Chair, there are healthcare services that the, private, that the private healthcare does not offer. And when they don't offer those services, they then refer the patients to the public sector. And when they do that, the medical aids do not pay for those services the same way they would have paid should the private sector offer those services. Obviously, the medical aids, they won't pay for the services because the private, se the public sector, it is free and it's not meant to generate profit. And again, Jim, the same medical aid, the same medical scheme holders, when they exhaust the, their funds before the year end, they have no other choice but to go and seek the help of the public health sector. So, Chair, we say the public and private sector, they are part of a single system. When there is an imbalance that favors the private sector, it necessarily um, has a negative impact on the public sector. And then as I conclude, Chem, we want to say, Nehau supports the implementation of the NHI as it seeks to transform historical injustices and structural inequalities caused by the former apartheid state. The current state of the public health was transmitted to us from the past. Hence, we are duty bound to changing those conditions in a democratic society. Again, Chair, in order to strive to improve quality and, and equitable access to healthcare, the NHR will help to alter health staffing requirements. To achieve increased health seeking behavior, implies increased need for all cadets of health care workers, particularly our specialists and general practitioners who are very much underrepresented under in the public uh, sector. If South Africa chair, if the South African health system is to overcome the challenges it is presently faced with, we need strengthened political support. 
so that financing can be restructured and the roles of both the public and the private sector can be redefined. I thank you, Chair Amanda. <coughs> Thank you very much. Any other input from uh, now? Any other members of now at this point in time? No, Chair. We, we are ready to take questions. Thank you. Thank you very much for your presentation and coming to present to us uh, this morning. We note the content of your presentation. There are a number of members that want to raise some questions with you. I'm going to mention them in the order that they raise their hands. It's Honorables Munyai, Ismail, Clark, Tembakwayo, Sukacha. Munyai, Ismail, Clark, Tembakwayo, Sukacha. Any other members who would want to raise any questions, you can shout on this platform so I can add you to this list. No other members? Please continue, honorable members, with your questions. Honorable Chair, and, um, and greetings to the Progressive Trade Union, Nihau. Uh, some say the most advanced uh, union of the public sector. And I think, thank you very much indeed for your comprehensive and insightful inputs on the, on the bill which some of us, uh, we got enlightened by something that we believe we don't know or we may not know. My question, therefore, to Nihau is as follows. In Nihau's comments regarding the need to appropriately ensure the distribution of health professional across the health facilities, can they clarify or share some of their views how this could be done under the National Health Insurance? In, in the response, Nehao should take into account the fact that under the internship and community service placement program, the refusal of some graduate to go and work in rural areas in other, uh, it's one of other major contributors to the lack of placement of the most graduate in rural facilities, of which majority of them force within the public sector and they are most and, and and they are located mostly in rural areas i would greatly appreciate nehau's views regarding the possible solution for such issues under the nhi nehau also this other question honorable chair nehau also uh, made a, a, a view that South Africa is leveled with massive unemployment and inequality, which that one I fully agree. And also they raise the issues of the massive budget cut in healthcare and other social services. I think I'm in content with that because I serve here in parliament in the portfolio committee on health. So I know that fact. But now, there they also argues that there are critics or rather the detractors who are opposed to NHI. 
what is their view? What is the alternative that they provide these detectors? What the views they express that things to undermine this uh, transformation? Of course, something to note, uh, Chairperson, Honorable Chair, is that Nehau argues that this is apartheid, apartheid uh, law that may be reformed. For me, as a Democrat, uh, and also respect the democratic breakthrough, if there's any other aspect of the legislation that seeks to segregate our people based on apartheid, which has been declared an enemy by the United, an enemy of the people by the United Nations, therefore, I should not hesitate for advancement for that transformation. But of course, that should be based on the views, on the input of our people, uh, or the presenters, amongst that being now. I want them to reflect who are those detractors and what do they say? And I know some say it's okay, the precondition for NHI, solve first the issues of the infrastructure and public services, and so on. And yet they know the inequality that you have presented. What is your view around those critics? What is the estimated period for anyhow that they think NHI could be progressively realized uh, into law? Lastly, uh, it's not exact last, the issue of the current status quo, which the private medical aid schemes received 8% to GDP, accounting over 400 billion, and save only 16% of our population, of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the few, yet 84% of the population are not saved. What is the view of Nihau on this, in it, of, on this approach? Do they still support this status quo or they want it to go like the silver bullet? Lastly, uh, it's one of the last, uh, of many last honorable chair. Do, does Nihau, and I'm sure I wouldn't have captured, I wouldn't have captured all the expect uh, uh, quickly, but there's an aspect that they've raised. I think do they agree that uh, uh, with President Ramaphosa that, open quote, NHI is fundamentally about social justice and will ensure that all our people, whether they are black or white, rich or poor, will be able to access uh, the comprehensive range of healthcare services, close quote. If uh, I would appreciate their view. What is the view of Niao on the white paper? Open quote, NHI represents substantial policy shift that will necessitate massive reorganization of the current healthcare system to address the structural changes that exist. I'm sure they've raised some of those structural challenges in their presentation in both the private and public sectors. I'm raising this honorable chair that so that no, no private, no public sector should want to emerge as the 
holy. So the views of the presenter is critical on these issues. Just to conclude, do they agree on the values of justice, fairness, social solidarity as a way towards implementation of the uh, universal health coverage? Because some, some will say we want universal health coverage, but this universal health coverage must be without NHI. What is the NHI? What is the Nihau view on this regard? Thanks. Good morning, Chair, and good morning to everyone. Uh, and thank you to Nihau for your presentation. I have a variety of questions. My first question. Now we are, what, 27, 28 years into democracy? We've had a new dispensation in government for at least 27 to 28 years. Would you think that in this 27 or 28 years, our healthcare system could have been attended to or fixed where, you know, we have universal healthcare for the whole country? The reason I'm asking this is that we know the NHI bill that we're looking at right now is a funding model. We know that our healthcare system, for want of a better word, is in tatters. Now, we all look at NHI as a tool, as a means to provide quality healthcare to the country. But we also know that this NHI bill is actually a funding model. On the basis of that, I ask these questions. Your presentation mentions that you agree with the single purchaser and single buyer model. Now, what your submission does not take into consideration is the flaws in the implementation of our procurement laws. According to the PFMA and the National Treasury instruction to date, departments are meant to advertise tenders with details such as price, company name, award date, etc. In addition, the PFMA highlights that price is the first indicator that should be considered when awarding tenders. However, as we have clearly seen in the SIU report, tenders were awarded to companies that overcharged for products or services. Now, considering the flaws in implementing procurement rules and regulations, how do you actually foresee this a substantial and lowering of prices? How is the fund actually protected from ANC caters seeking to fill their own pockets, as we have seen in the digital vibes scandal? What suggestions can you provide to protect the fund from political interference? My next question. Noting that NHI will be sourcing funds from Texas and the tax base in South Africa is relatively small. We all know that we have underprivileged. We all know that we have a major unemployment crisis in this country. Do you feel that the pool of taxes will be sufficient to carry the bill since presently the private sector is in the forefront in assisting with health services to the country? My next question. Do you feel that while the private sector is complementing the private sector, the National Department of Health should concentrate on upgrading infrastructure? Do you actually think that we will access quality healthcare services if we don't first ensure that we increase the amount of healthcare workers and upgrade health infrastructure? You know, we all know that we have a major issue with shortage of healthcare uh, workers at, at all levels. 
and in all provinces. And the main reply that we get from the departments are short of budget. Now we're already facing a shortage of budget crisis in this country. With the minimum tax base that we have, how is this NHI fund actually going to work? My next question, don't you think that the freedom of choice is you know, infringed or the, the, you know, what I'm trying to say here is don't you think the freedom of choice is infringing the right of choice, whether to choose a medical aid or not to the masses of this country? So frankly, I'm asking you, is the bill, you know, constitutionally aligned? Now, considering that the Office of Health Standards and Compliance presently can't manage to monitor even 20% of our health facilities and the fact that health facilities need to reach certain compliance requirements under the NHI, we know primary health care at our clinics is core to most of our people in, our, in this country. Now, under the NHI, due to the fact that most of them whether it be clinics or hospitals, will not meet NHI standards. Don't you think that this will stifle or impact health service delivery to communities, which is really needed? My next question. Under the bill's current governance and organizational structure, do you recommend the private sector be included on the board to improve the accountability and legitimacy of the board? Do you recommend parliament oversight to mitigate the threat of corruption? My next question. Do you feel that the bill will stifle innovation in the healthcare sector? And do you feel the access to top-up cover will actually assist in covering the extras? You know, the extras like for chronic patients. I mean, won't we have more fertilities? Because by the time we have those referral letters, we may just lose, you know, a lot of people before they can get efficient and sufficient health care. Now, we already know that of at least 104 billion rand in medical negligence claims currently. Don't you think that this will be even worse under the NHI? Thank you, Chair. Terrible talk. Um, thank you, Chair. Um, I've just got a few questions I would like to ask. Um, one is, would you say that within the South African context, our infrastructure is equal to the benchmarking of other countries internationally in terms of NHI, where um, internationally it's been implemented? Two, what is your view in terms of the contributions of the private health care system to the economy of this country? And how would you resolve the jobs that will be lost within the private health care system if it no longer would exist within the marketplace? Um, three, you know, I've just been reading um, this morning again where, uh, for example, the Edenvale Hospital hasn't paid um, security officers, the cleaners, um, etc. for the past three months. Do you think this kind of practice under the NHI health system would be mitigated? Because we often hear of health care workers not being paid on time for months on end. Do you believe that the NHI would be able to mitigate um, this kind of practice um, uh, through that, that happens often throughout the country? And do you think that if that had to be increased, for example, 
to fund the NHI. How would that have an implication on the poor of the poorest, considering the high cost of living costs we have to contend with in this country at the moment? For example, food prices, interest rates that have just gone up again um, in terms of um, uh, fuel prices, transport that's gone up, electricity that they're now wanting to put up another 20%. I mean, if we had to put taxes up, in particularly there's a talk about um, increasing VAT, that is going to have a devastating consequences on the poor of the poor in our country. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson, and uh, thank you for the presentation. Uh, I've got only one question and uh, and a comment. And uh, the question is based on the more temporal healthcare workers during the COVID-19 uh, period to date, uh, with reference to the 2,900 health workers in the Eastern Cape uh, who have lost their jobs as we are speaking, and they are still making use of whatever revenue is available to help them get their jobs back. What is Nehau's view on, the, on this issue and other related issues in other provinces and which um, applaudable intervention can you provide? And a comment is based on uh, the information that was given on reactionary groups. And then to say, uh, I don't think you need to inform us on the opinions of the reactionary groups because they all had their opportunity to come and present before this committee and uh, they were uh, treated uh, equally. So what you were supposed to do was just present your own views on the NHI bill and stop there. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Um, let me thank uh, uh, Comrade Zola and his whole army of comrades, and more, most particularly Comrade Mbele for the, the very good uh, presentation. As I said to um, the previous presenters from COSATU and from the South African Communist Party, I want to repeat and say that your presentation is very progressive and talks to the poor of this country. I'm therefore going to ask you this same question that I asked Kosatu and the South African Communist Party. What is Nao's response to those who are opposed to the bill, in particular, and the NHI principle in general? Like what we have heard yesterday from Avri Forum, and I think some weeks ago or last year from one professor, I just forget the name of the professor, that they will take government and this 
parliament to the constitutional court because according to them this bill when it becomes law will not pass the constitutional master how does now take these threats how will you and your members respond to these threats of going to block this noble cause the cause of ensuring that the poor of this country have got access to quality and affordable healthcare like them the rich ones of course we live in a democratic dispensation which your organization played a crucial role to achieve everyone is free to go to court including them but now these noble causes are threatened in this way what do you say in this regard as 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 uh, now then on the chairperson my second question will be um <clears throat> now sorry now has raised grave concerns about austerity measures that the national treasury has imposed on the healthcare sector and the provision of public goods what is now's proposal on protecting the funding that will be coming from the general revenue fund into the national health insurance fund would they how support earmarking if the nhi sorry would they how support earmarking if the nhi budget please elaborate on this thank you very much sir Uh, sorry, thank you very much, Chair. I just have one question. What is the position on NHI contracting with the for-profit private providers to deliver services to be funded by the NHI fund? Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, uh, let me also welcome the presentation from Nehau. indeed it's a progressive uh, presentation and we really welcome that and the support for the nhi because you really know what um, the country is faced and you know uh, that you are fighting for the poor and you know uh, the challenges that the health sector is saving and also when you compare a uh, private sector and also the public sector and uh, what our government has done so far uh, the improvement in our health system uh, we know that at least uh, we are moving forward uh, to correct uh, all the challenges that uh, health department is faced um which i think uh, nhi is a good move to make sure that we equalize uh, the standard of health uh, in south africa uh, no matter whether you are poor or rich but we'll be getting a quality health uh, services in all health sectors uh, despite whether you are rich or poor but uh, we'll be getting a, a good health uh, services in south africa 
coming to the questions uh, that I want to ask and how, uh, what is Nehau doing uh, to prepare its membership for immigration into NHI? I'm asking this question because some uh, uh, detractors of NHI are saying uh, what workers will be opposed uh, to move out of GEMS into NHI? That is my first question. My second question, can you explain your experiences on how the countries that were post-war were able to implement their NHI? What lessons can South Africa learn from those experiences? Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Honourable Members, for those questions you've raised to Nahal. Are there any other members who want to raise any questions? Thank you very much again for your presentation to the GS and the team from uh, Nahal. I have a couple of things I want to raise with you. Uh, now, we've heard many people express many different opinions over time as we have been uh, having these uh, public hearings. One of those is that uh, government must first fix the public health system before the NHI is implemented. I'd like to hear what your view is with regards to the phased implementation of the NHI. And then secondly, the other one that we've heard is that uh, monopsony power crowds out uh, innovation. And uh, your, your thoughts around this would be very welcome, both the positive and negative effects of this monopsony. Um, and then uh, your view also on the medical scheme providing parallel uh, cover meaning a said of providing uh, complementary cover, what's your view on medical scheme providing substitutive cover? And then very lastly, your, in your presentation, you, produce, you say you've produced uh, position papers on the NHI based on international benchmarking. What advice will you give to this portfolio committee on the obstacle to look out for of the country um, as we are about to achieve, uh, wishing to achieve a single strategic purchase that will avoid uh, fragmentation. Thank you very much. Those are all the questions raised to you. You might proceed to uh, provide some uh, answers to those uh, concerns raised by the members. Thank you. Yeah, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Sidney Khara. I'm the head of policy unit in Nahau. I shall try to answer majority of the questions which have been asked by members. And thereafter, my team will perhaps address the questions that I may have left out. I must say that these are many questions uh, more than we anticipated. So I hope uh, in the process we've captured them very well. I think the first question was about the challenges with regard to the deployment of interns in rural areas, in that they are refusing, as it was said, graduates are refusing to work in those parts of 
in those parts of the country. Yeah, it is a, a challenge. I think uh, there has been a discussion over time with regard to what incentives can be introduced that are adequate enough to entice uh, practitioners to work in those parts of the country. But I also think it's an issue of the philosophy of the medical health. In other countries, notably in Cuba, inherent in the philosophy of the, the medicine or the education on healthcare is emphasizing actually starting and addressing in those remote underprivileged areas. Whereas uh, in our context, we know the the hospice-centric model, the biomedical model we have in the South African context, which really create the orientation away from the underprivileged areas. So it's a long-term challenge we have, but I do think that with adequate training, sufficient uh, graduating of uh, practitioners, others may be able to decide to to work in those parts. But we admit it's a not an easy easy task uh, because it's voluntary after all. Um, there was a question about our views on uh, austerity. Yeah, we've raised this consistently in the extent that it is really undermining progress that we can make in implementing the NHI. In the first instance, our expectation was that out of the COVID-19, the country can really realize more than ever before how important you know, the healthcare system is, and in particular, the centrality of the healthcare workers as doctors, as nurses, as porters, as all type of clinicians in the allied professional fields, as well as even security, that we can invest more so that we have some legacy out of out of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. So austerity is beginning to regress that. If you look at the medium-term expenditure framework, how much is going to be reduced, and in particular what Slindida uh, was raising with regard to the location of the health spending as a fiscal risk. It's clearly counterproductive, basically saying that uh, we are well already off track in implementing or achieving the goals of the NDP. And uh, we, 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 we do not want to accept that. And actually spending on health itself contribute in economic development. And we, we, we know all about how we multiply effects, the healthiness of the workforce, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what is the period? Yeah, they, they, we've been warned not to speak so much about detractors, but we shall because they are standing in the way of the implementation of the law of the land. The constitution expects government to ensure that all have access to health care. And there are people who oppose that. We reject that as now, and we support the NHI, and we're not afraid to, to comment on what is there in the dominating us in the media, which is not a reflection of the three successive elections, by the way, where in which NHI was put on the table. 
including the consensus that is there in the uh, that was expressed in the national uh, summit, presidential national summit on on health. Um, we there's a question about uh, the four hundred billion that is spent in the private sector. What is the view of now? Yeah, imagine the four hundred, the sixteen percent of the population, around nine million or so. If it was one country, where it spends this amount of money on healthcare, but at the same time manifesting the kind of health outcomes we have, even for people who are using the private health industry, it's a massive waste of resources massive amounts of inefficiencies and failures, frankly. It's also because we mimic the United States health system. And you can also see that the United States is very low in the international comparison of performance of the health system in relation to the OECD countries in terms of health outcomes. So, in, in fact, if anything, what you find if you, and I'll advise the members to go read especially those who speak about the private sector as if it's a, it's a, it's a good health system. They must just read the, the report of the Competition Commission. Um, what it says about the inefficiencies in the health system there, in the private health system. So, yeah, that, that's our response to that question. Do you agree with the president's sentiments regarding the NHI? Certainly. 100%, and we're happy that the government continues to be committed in implementing the NHR. Uh, but we want to see more action supported by funding in relation to the next phase of the implementation uh, of the NHI. Uh, the, our analysis of the medium-term strategic framework of the Department of Health indicate that uh, we could be doing more in, in preparing for the implementation of a law that is going to come out of this bill. Yes, uh, we agree, NHI, in relation to what the white paper says, represent a massive shift, not only in terms of resources, but even ourselves in our orientation towards health. You know, uh, because of the NHI framework in terms of the policy emphasizes um, primary health care, that health, in fact, is uh, the primary health care is the foundation of the health system, and therefore work on preventative promotion and so on are important uh, in making our NHI uh, uh, sustainable. Uh, then there was a question from Ms. Ishmael. Uh, yes, we support the single purchaser, single buyer. That's the whole logic of pulling healthcare funds so that you can be rationalized and not be wasteful as we have in the private sector at the moment. But also you can cross-subsidize the poor who may not have the resources to access healthcare when it is a right. It's not a, it's not a commodity. So we support that uh, 100%. Um, yeah, and, and obviously uh, the white paper proposes a shift in the 
purchasing model. And we support that. And other countries that are successfully implementing the NHI, I mean, their own universal healthcare systems are actually doing that. We are just an outlier uh, together with the United States using fee-for-service uh, model. Uh, the issues around political interference, uh, I don't know. I mean, that's more hypothetical. Uh, I don't know why we, would there be political interference for what purpose. Uh, uh, so I'm not sure what, what was expected to say about something that is supposed to happen in the future, according to the member there. Um, the taxpayer carrying the bill, yes, uh, every country that has a universal health insurance, just like with any aspect of the tax system, the high income taxpayers really subsidize the poor. I mean, that is with regard to everything in, 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 a, in, a, in a civilized country. So that will happen with also to health. It can't be an exception. So I don't think there's a problem. Anyway, the poor have been subsidizing the rich in this country, you know, with the our history we have, where people were within the same occupations were paid differentially and we did not have any benefits like health or retirement insurance. So it's not even an issue of debate that question. Um, yeah, the, the, the argument is an old one about the first who must fix the... I think the chair also raised it, both of you. We must first address the, the the situation in the public health before you move into NHR. It's as if these things can happen sequentially because the, the problem is that the situation in the public sector, yes, is a function of the whole range of challenges that are existing in terms of governance, in terms of budgetary allocation being inappropriate or inadequate. Please whoever is talking. Um, but the public sector is unable to progress while it is systematically um parasitically siphoned off by the private sector. Whether it's in terms of personnel training. Subsidies, we spoke about it adequately, and and especially the professionals who, because of the existing wage premium in the private sector, people then move to the private sector. So you have to be able to address all of this at the same time, because pulling the resources of health into one port, the NHI fund, creates a platform for you to be able to do that in an integrated and I think many people also would, would welcome that who are currently using the private sector. See the improvement over time in private in public health so that they can choose to uh, yeah, rather use their, their, their public health uh, hospitals nearby, especially in, in the townships and rural areas. Um, uh, the, the, the question of freedom of choice is very abstract. It's not about freedom. You, you can only have access freedom if you have the means to do that. So when you say freedom of choice, you're talking about those who have the means to exercise that freedom. Whereas the the constitutional the constitutional the makers of a constitution understood that not everyone would have access, and therefore 
the state must do something to address that so that they can actually have the fullest expression of the freedoms of the country. So I don't think we can talk about freedom of choice in, in that limited way, where it's only for a um, uh, unlike the member, I don't think I agree that the private sector is accountable, is corruption-free. If you just have to look at what has transpired in the commission, on the commission, is the state corruption linked to private sector? I don't know what we're talking about, accountability in the private sector. If you read the report of the Competition Commission on the Health Market Inquiry, gross violation with regard to collusion of the private sector players and how they abuse the sick, as we say in our submission. So let's not uh, have a, live in a different world uh, from what we're experiencing in our country. There has to be accountability in the initial fund if a board is created because of the white paper was a commission. But if it's a board, it must be also accountable, but broadly representative of sectors. And as we say in our submission, including expertise around labor relations. Um, then there were questions about international benchmarking. I mean, there are many countries uh, that have made in, been making progressive shift to the universal health coverage, including in the African continent that we are noting in Ghana, but they've been Thailand and in the recent past and some strides in Brazil and, and so on. So these are successful uh, countries and the world is united, as you can see with the resolution of the WHO in their assembly. The majority of countries favor universal health coverage. Um, hence the, 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 the UN uh, universal the sustainable goals that they've outlined for most countries. Um, we don't think that there will be any job losses. Uh, I think there should be instead, uh, if you create the NHI, there'll be more employment in the public sector because currently we have a whole range of different types of vacancies because of limited resources that are diverted to the public, private sector. Um, um, the, the one, we don't support VAT on, on NHI. VAT is inherently regressive. That won't be able to, to, to shift the structure of our tax system in a way that enhances access for the people. Uh, yeah, we the the, the, the member, I think uh, Dr. Tembakwayo spoke about the situation of temporary workers in the Eastern Cape. Our union has been actively engaging with the department on that. We are of the view that actually these workers were employed not, not because they were additional, but actually there were already gaps or vacancies that needed people to fill them in. So it's unfortunate that the Treasury is committed to this view that there should not be any permanent commitments uh, outside the fiscal framework, which is why we have a problem of that nature. And in fact, we may have a problem 
going forward in other provinces. But our view is also that we were able to raise funds recently, uh, obtain a loan on favorable terms uh, on the basis that will help with our recovery of the health system and economic um, and the economy. And these are some of the interventions government should be able to use the, the money for, for, for that people. Because we're still under uh, the state of disaster and uh, we couldn't be uh, sharing jobs uh, when there's a possibility of still other waves of the, um, of the pandemic. Um, then there was a, our view on those who are opposing the the bill, I mean, we, we've been working on the NHI campaign for some time now, and generally the views, we understand them, but they are stale views generally. Um, so I said that before that we're not afraid to, to express our views on, on the detractors of the NHI. Um, uh, and how proposal on protecting the fund uh, does now some sub, sub, support earmarking initial for yeah this is a more difficult question I think uh, to be fair I think the reality is that the treasury is vehemently opposed to earmarking in terms of the budget allocations uh, but the the question is about commitment. If government has a clear strategic commitment and a plan to implement the NHI, that would mean the plan is supported by the funds that are, are made, are allocated, or if you like, are earmarked in a way. So uh, I think for us, it's, it's not whether or not the earmark is the issue. Is whether there's a commitment and backing uh, that commitment with a plan and making funds available. Uh, what is Nahau doing in preparing membership and workers who would like to remain in GEMS? Uh, that's a question by uh, member Ms. Kela. Um, we've been working on for some time now, especially amongst our members with education, within the limits of our resources. I think we, we've had NHI almost in every regional, provincial Congress or workshops we've had, including in, even our participation in the parliamentary hearings in provinces, we often involve our members. I think it is true that there is a section of the public service workers that is skeptical about the NHI only because uh, also in the general public, many people do not understand that South Africa actually is strange in the world with what we have with the, so many expenditure in, in private health and with the medical schemes we have. So I think if there would be more great strides shown in the implementation of the NHI and people beginning to see the benefits. More and more people would move or change their opinion. But the NHI is not an option. Uh, you can opt out 
once the fund has been established, but you then have to lose out on the you know benefits of being in a common pool. So over time, people will realize the benefits of, of the NHI as opposed to the currency. Because you can actually compare countries that have universal coverage and those that do not and see the difference that that makes. Um, so, but yeah, it's a challenge in educating uh, workers in our sector, but also in the public in general. Um, the post-war experience, how can SAS succeed? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, our emphasis here is a lot of countries, especially in Europe, but also elsewhere, were able on the ashes of the war to rebuild and they used spending on health in establishing infrastructure in training personnel in developing health industry in terms of devices and pharmaceuticals to rebuild their economies. And we can also be able to do that in South Africa. Um, I think there are pioneering countries that Across the board, you'd find the whole population are proud about the achievement from that period, notably Britain, but also other countries in mainland Europe. We can we can also follow that, but as I indicate that there are other countries in the global south that are doing the same that we can also follow. Obviously, the, every country you know approaches universal health coverage from its own particularities and experiences and challenges. And we have our particularities more so in South Africa that we have to take into account to, to be able to succeed. But we certainly have the potential to succeed. There's no question about that. Um, then the chairperson asked about government. Oh yeah, we, we responded to that question about fix the public first and so on. Um, um, monopsony power of the fund crowding out innovation. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Uh, I, I don't see how the innovation spoken about would then be universally applicable to people without access in the current arrangement of medical schemes. I mean, the criteria of any alternative that being proposed or, or for those who are rejecting the NHI must understand if they are going to oppose the NHI, their alternative must provide an answer on the question of how to achieve universal health coverage, how to meet the constitutional requirement. And I don't think maintaining um, the current uh, multiple schemes that deprive us of an opportunity to um, transform the health system would lead to innovation in any in a specific way. I'm I'm not sure uh, how that works in the context of universal health coverage. Um, we can't stop implementing the NHI just because we think that uh, there are certain uh, innovations that we can miss out that only benefits a few people in the country. That doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, I've indicated that the uh, NHI is going to be a common pool for the entire of the nation, compulsory. 
But does the but the white paper does provide for people if they so choose to opt out, but at their own cost. So uh, I think uh, we cannot have a multiple multiple uh, funds uh, existing in the moment. In, in the, and, and even that has been shown to be unsustainable as there's been a lot of consolidation and others have been closing over time since the 1990s. Um, yeah, I think, uh, Chairperson, I tried to answer the questions as much as I can. I don't know whether you have any question. Uh, uh, if GS and Congress Tango also want to add, they would do so, Chairperson. But from our side, thank you very much indeed. Thanks. Any other responses from your team? Thank you, Chair. Um, just on three questions. I must say this, uh, it would have been a good uh, thing to engage with you if we had time. But because we're working uh, within the constraints of time, I will be short and deal with these issues. The, one, the first issue is attracting health practitioners in rural areas. Two things that we want to raise for consideration by the by the committee or portfolio committee, yes. That one, there are lessons to learn from um, and improve from those lessons. For instance, um, there, there is a model used by education to attract teachers in those areas. Why don't we look onto that model and take what might be relevant and strengthen that model to our own context because we need that kind of a service in those areas. That's the first point that we're doing. Balancing that is the curriculum that we're providing at schools, which lacks revolutionary moral aspects. That makes a, a student who becomes a graduate to appreciate that uh, we have a social responsibility to serve our nation. So we do think that those two aspects combined ought to be looked onto. We would have, if we had time, we had to share some experiences share in that in that in that uh, context. But as long as we have uh, an education that produces graduates for market, um, it, it it will not going to be easy to have people volunteering uh, and working under uh, or in rural areas because the the logic of market is nothing for free. So that's why it's so difficult now. That's the first point that we want to make. The second point, it relates to Office of Health Standard Compliance, which has a responsibility to ensure quality and safety in health. I do think that, Chair, we'll be making a mistake if we look on matters of compliance in a context or in isolation with national health insurance. Because South Africa is a general challenge of compliance. For instance, the institution of lawmakers, in this case, parliament, also is the culprit in, 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 in complying with the same law that they produced. Secondly, institutions of government in the form of department, they are also particularly the custodian of uh, the laws, for instance, of the occupational health and safety, through the Department of Employment and Labor. It's found one thing, actually, is the first culprit to be arrested, if truth is to be told. 
because there's no compliance, not only in health, across sectors. Um, completely now, there is no compliance with the establishment of health and safety committees in, in, in all the workplaces where our members are. And the evidence to that is a report that we publicized in July 2020. We call it fact findings, which really was looking in the hospitals in the context of COVID and how South Africa has positioned itself to respond to that. And that report, we made it public. We have submitted to the president of the country, ministers, deputy ministers, and members of this portfolio committee. Unfortunately, has not nothing has been done, even to look into those findings and proposals made. So it's a general problem. So when we look onto the issue of uh, office of uh, standard compliance, health standard compliance, we must look at the in totality in the overall context of general lack to comply by institutions that to be custodian that should have acted as example and bring uh, confidence. In the in the nation, so that's the point that we say that unless we look at it in broad terms, but when it comes to health standard compliance, that office, we do think that we should uh, undertake a review process, particularly on the role and powers, because if 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 you give an office if you you give a, an office a limited powers on compliance, you might not achieve what you have said for yourself. Second, we must address the structural and power relations amongst departments. Because that office wouldn't do anything without the Department of Employment and Labor as part of enforcing compliance. So we need to look into those um, issues, Chairs. The third point, Chair, our members, in that question, what are we, expect, what are we expecting to do or expected to do. Our members, as I said earlier on, are more ready to defend the NHI at all costs. If needs be, we'll use all our resources to defend it, including mass mobilization, not only workers, but society as a whole, precisely because health is a societal issue. We're more than prepared to do so. Um, using our resources, our personnel to mobilize society to defend because that's the that's what we understood as how as a real uh, component of what we called the second phase of our transition. Introducing national health insurance or having it speaks to that second phase of our transition. So we'll do everything, chair, to defend uh, the national insurance, noting the contending views which we respect, but we'll continue. That's why we raise their views here, because we are more committed even to engage and persuade them to realize the importance of the national insurance as a solution um, to justice and fairness of society. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Anyone else from your team? Uh... General Secretary? No one? Uh, Chair, Chair, there was a question about the question of how to address the provincial disparities in terms of the healthcare workers. 
Yeah, we didn't answer that question, but we know that it's part of the how the health human resource for health strategy, which has been recently adopted, seeks to address in terms of how the training and allocation of resources will also respond to the disparities as they exist in different provinces. But provinces also are affected by that question about the tendency of you know, practitioners or graduates not wanting to work in rural areas. I think that uh, we think that the, the human resource for health uh, has an intent to address that particularly well. Uh, yeah, my last point is that we note and we are quite surprised that nobody has asked us a question about the Competition Commission report in relation to the private sector, but also about the tax expenditure subsidies that deprive majority of our people access to that's those subsidies. Thanks, nonetheless, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Um, we appreciate you coming to uh, return today to the Portfolio Committee. We have noted your inputs and your concerns and your recommendations. We will take that further as a uh, Portfolio Committee. If you want to make a very last comment, you're very welcome to before we move on to the minutes, which we still need to deal with for consideration and adoption of prior minutes of this portfolio committee. No, thank you very much, Chair. On our, on our side, we're fine. Thank you very much once again. We appreciate you coming. Are you, uh, honorable members, we have come to the end of the uh, presentations on the uh, on the uh, NHI public bill uh, for today. We still have a couple of other items we'd like to complete today. We are aware that some of our members would like to catch the bus that leaves the parliamentary villages at 12.30. We will try to do only maybe two or three sets of minutes as time allows and take the other minutes to next week. Uh, Ms. Majalamba, are you, uh, are you ready for us? Yes, Chair, I'm ready. We'll do, we'll first start with the minutes of the 25th of January. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Honourable members, you have received these minutes and uh, it's been forwarded to all of us. Hopefully you would have had a look at it and we'd be able to move through these very fast. So the uh, minutes of the 21st of January of the Portfolio Committee on Health, page one. Make certain that you are noted to have been present or to have uh, on page two attended your apology. And page three was a presentation by Bonitas. Anything you want to add? Can I move yeah, on? I, I, I didn't see page one. Sorry, Chairperson, I didn't see page one. Page one, you are there, Honorable Munyai. No, I'm here. Thank you. I just wanted to check that. We can move now to page three. We are at page four. So then we have the uh, anything from the minutes that you had picked up, Honorable Member, that you'd like to speak to. We now with uh, uh, page five. I'm going on to page six. 
Doctor, my my computer battery is, is it's nearly finished. It's finished. I don't have a, a charger here with me. It's fine, Honourable Munya. Thank you very much for informing me. But I support the course, and I, yeah, I would have moved for the adoption of all the minutes. Thank you, Your Honour. You have now moved. Are you moving for adoption of these minutes? Well, yes, here. yes, yes, I'm moving. I'm Thank moving you very forward. much. Can I get a second for the adoption of the minutes of the 21st? Okay. I second, Chair. Chairperson, I'm seconding the minutes. Thank you very much, Honorable Gela. Let's uh, move. Minutes are therefore uh, duly adopted, Honorable Members. We will go on to the minutes of the 26th of January, page one. See if you're present. Page two, whether the apology is noted. Page three, yes. <coughs> Did I hear a voice? Page uh, four, we've seen the list of stakeholders. Page four. Page five. Page six. Page seven. Page eight and page nine. Honorable members, can I get a mover for the adoption of these minutes? I, I so move, Honorable Chaperson, that we accept the minutes. Thank you very much, Honorable Sukacha. Can I get a second for the adoption of these minutes to the movement of Honorable Sukacha? I'm seconding, Chaperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Gera. Uh, Ms. Majalamba, shall we do a third? Yes, Chair, please. 28th of January. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chair. 28th of January, Honorable Members, page one. Note again whether you're present. Note it as being present. Page two, apologies. The health department and the officials or support staff's presence. Page three. We had. Uh, List of stakeholders, Competition Commission, Commission for Gender Equality, Solidarity, page four. Page five. Page six. And then uh, page seven. And then lastly, page eight. Thank you, honorable members. Can I ask for approval for the adoption of these minutes? Chairperson, I move for the approval of the minutes. Thank you, Honorable Gela. Any seconder to that movement? Chairperson, as somebody who was actively participating on that meeting of the 29th of January, I hereby second. Thank you very much, Honorable Sukacha. We appreciate that. Uh, we have two sets of documents still outstanding. We mm -hmm. can quickly move to them and finish them. Yes, Honorable Demo? 8th uh, February 2022. Thank you. 8th of February, Honorable Members, same thing, page one. You noted there, page two. Page three.
Thank you very much. Can I get a move for the adoption of these minutes? I move for the approval of the minutes. Thank you, Honorable Gela. Any seconder? Chairperson, I second uh, uh, the minutes. We'll go to the last, that minutes are duly adopted. We will go to the last set of minutes which have been prepared. Of the, of the 9th of February, page one, you all noted there. Page two, page three, page four, page five, page six, page seven, Page eight, page nine. Any mover for the adoption of the minutes? Chair, I've read through the minutes and uh, I hereby uh, propose that we accept the minutes. Thank you very much, Honorable Sukacha. Any second to the movement of Honorable uh, Sukacha? I second the approval of the minutes. Thank you very much. Uh, those are the last minutes, I think, Ms. Majulamba, that we have prepared. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Honorable members, thank you very much for spending your morning with us. We had a wonderful day, wonderful presentations. We are looking forward to completing the NHI public hearings next week uh, from the National Assembly's point of view. We will be having presentations on the 23rd and um, uh, enjoy the sitting for the rest of the day and our meeting is there for adjourned. Thank you. Alibongwe. 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 Alibongwe.